0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when tonight, December 11th, 2021, we appear to be getting a return transmission from Oumuamua. Now, for those of you that have not followed this show for the last week or two, let me tell you what we did. Last week on the fourth in the evening, when the show's about half an hour before the other side of midnight went on the air, we started a transmission sequence of what I'm terming specific hyperdimensional frequencies, meaning um, frequencies that are part of the hyperdimensional equations, the torsion field model, that are immortalized in sacred sites around the world, and we're transmitting these on two separate frequencies that even of themselves as carrier waves are absolutely straight hyperdimensional. One is 144.1 megahertz, and the other is 432 megahertz. And these numbers, 144 and 432, show up, In Egypt, they show up in the measurements of the Giza Plateau over and over and over again. They show up in the measurements all over the solar system. They show up in sacred sites as from England to Southeast Asia to Australia to Africa through the work of uh, my uh, friend and colleague Carl Monk. They are part of human history, like an attempt to memorialize in every way possible, the key mathematics and geometry of hyperdimensional physics so we would not forget. And we forgot. At least some of us have forgotten. Or there has been an extraordinary, literally millennia-long campaign to get us to forget why these numbers are important. So in the last couple of weeks, I had this bright idea, I thought it was a bright idea, that given that we had this first interstellar interloper come zipping through the solar system in October of 2017, plunging toward the plane of the solar system's planets that kind of orbit the sun, uh, like all in the flat plane of an LP record, and then making almost a right-hand turn and dashing off at escape speed, well in excess of escape speed in the direction of the constellation Pegasus. I said to myself, well, if, um, as I and others have independently figured out, this thing was the first, not only the first interstellar visitor we've ever had, but in fact, some kind of intelligently designed artifact, a probe, a time capsule, whatever you want to call it, I say to myself, what would happen if you had access to a very powerful radio transmitter and you sent a signal to a Oumuamua at the conventional speed of light um, in a long transmission sequence lasting, let's say, five minutes, and then you repeated the sequence again and again and again and again for several hours? Because at the speed of light, again, we're limiting this discussion at the moment to mainstream physics. It would take about 3.69 hours as of last Saturday night, exactly seven hyperdimensional days ago, for the signal to get there and then 3.69 hours if they responded instantly for the signal to get back to Earth. So that was kind of our model. And the idea was that I would come on the air and we would describe the experiment, which we did. In fact, we're rerunning that entire program because of its extraordinary historicity tomorrow night. That's going to be our program tomorrow night, a rebroadcast faithfully showing you in audio in real time what happened during our first test transmission window to and from Muamua seven days ago. And then since we got such extraordinary results during the program, we've spent now about a week trying to analyze what we got. We got two separate avenues of, shall we say, return signals. And I'm gonna warn you right up front, they kind of violate the fundamental concept of SETI, you know, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Because, of course, the mainstream is assuming nothing can exceed the speed of light. And so we would have to wait for radio waves to go all the way out to Oumuamua, which is about 2.5 billion miles from the sun tonight, leaving the solar system at almost 60,000 miles per hour. Something like 16, well, wait, it was 26 uh, kilometers and change per second. And I can't do the conversion to miles in my head for those folks that are attached to miles like I am. Um, I don't have a calculator down here. I've taken it upstairs in the library. Anyway, so if someone, David, if you can supply me what 26 kilometers per second is in miles per second, that would be very useful. And just going to break in. Anyway, that was the idea that we were dealing in the SETI paradigm. You send signal you wait for signal to get to target. You wait for target to answer and then turn around and, and, you know, deliver the answer back to you at the speed of light. Well, things began to happen even as Jimmy um, 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 Blanchett began transmitting about half an hour before airtime last Saturday night. And the way things began happening is that directly over the antenna which was in the 110 degree field of view of a very sensitive low light level uh, night vision television system, he began seeing, and fortunately all this was recorded, amazing things happening in the sky directly over the antenna, between the antenna and a Muamua, which is 2.5 billion miles away, totally invisible in the dark against the stars. I mean, right now, its optical magnitude um, is about plus 36. Human eyesight only goes to plus six. Each magnitude is 2.5 times dimmer than the next one. So you do the math. Muamua by reflected sunlight, even 2.5 billion miles away, which is almost at the distance of the planet Neptune, by the way is a very, 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 dim spark of light in the dark. No telescope on Earth is capable tonight of even seeing it. It's so infinitesimally dim. But for some reason, as we were transmitting, weird – I mean, all I can call them is UFOs – began popping in and out of the frame of the low light TV camera that Jimmy had carefully set up, boresided with the radio beam from the center of the antenna array, in other words, they were doing selfies, they were doing uh, what are those a photo bombing um, as we were transmitting, and obviously, if you interpret this as a response, the response was coming hundreds of times faster than the so-called speed of light now i set all this up because for mainstream folks and most people listening to radio and most people you know reading newspapers or watching television or even on facebook they're mainstream folks they take their cues for how the universe works from the mainstream we represent the fringe now we have a large contingent of people ...with us who represent the fringe, but that's not who we have to reach to convince the world that something extraordinary is going on. We must have a message that fits into the frame of the mainstream. So our problem, and we're going to continue carrying through this uh, idea tonight, is how do we convince people who think we're all nuts... And there's nothing out there, and a muamua was just a rock, you know, that made a turn around the sun, regardless of what I and Abby Loeb and others may think and write and, and calculate. Well, obviously, one way to do that would be to provide incontrovertible evidence of some kind of intelligent information coming from this little tiny interloper in the dark. Or this is a big or. It's representatives, because obviously, you know, if you have literal UFOs showing up over your uh, antenna as you're transmitting, they must, in some metonymic way, be connected to the concept of communicating with a muamua, or why would they bother? I mean, if 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 we're dealing with one big very complicated, unhappy family out there with various diverse species, various diverse subset cousins of the human family, which is our model, or even outright aliens, Um, you've got to ask yourself, why would everybody care that a small group of humans on planet Earth on a December evening decided to send a very primitive radio signal actually two one forty four point one and four thirty two megahertz in the direction of a muamua, in other words, one would expect logically that only those directly involved with a muamua, which may come with a lot of unseen uh connectivity and baggage and hangers on and associates and you know we can get into speculating as to. How many folks could be associated with this little experiment to see how we'd react to an interstellar interloper coming through the solar system in a very Newtonian fashion, kind of like the ancient model that if someone's going to try to let us know we're not alone, they would send a Bracewell probe, which would, you know, come around the sun, um, kind of like, remember Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama? That's what a lot of people kind of associated a Moa Moa with. Uh, was Arthur's very classic now uh, uh, original novel with an interstellar probe coming through the solar system and being totally passive, not not you know broadcasting anything, not saying anything. Just it was there, and because it was late enough in the twenty I think twenty first century, if I remember Arthur's novel the technology of spaceflight had developed to the point where human beings could actually rendezvous with rama and go inside and then they found all kinds of really cool things and and um i don't want to spoil the novel but you you should read it it's very very cogent tonight you should read rendezvous with rama well we got nothing on earth in the above board space program uh who knows what the secret space program guys have done. If I were them, I would have obviously rendezvoused and visited and gone inside of Muamua to see what's going on. But assuming that has not taken place, one of my ideas was that if this in fact was something like a Bracewell probe, which was a term coined by a Stanford radio engineer who was very deeply involved in the early days of SETI at Stanford University, and he thought up the idea that primitive civilizations might again this is in a non faster than the speed of light universe where you're limited to to see to the speed of light he thought they might send automated probes kind of in a spray all throughout their galactic neighborhood and depending upon how far away this very sophisticated culture was At some point, one or two of these probes might wander through the solar system, take up orbits of the sun, and wait. Waiting for what? Well, waiting for whatever civilization or consciousness or species lived in this solar system to develop radio. And when the probe heard signals through the ionosphere, and we know that radio has only been an active technology on Earth for, you know, 100, 120 or something like that, going back to Marconi and Tesla. Bracewell's idea was that it would then answer. It would spring to life. It would say, oh, there's a signal. I should respond. And one of the ways you respond, again, in this paradigm, is you send back, the same kind of signals that you detect if you're the probe. And the idea would be that the people behind the original signals would get really, really, really curious as to the long-term echoes at the speed of light, like hours after the transmission uh, on uh, KDKA, let's say, out of Pittsburgh, the same program that KDKA back in the teens or the twenties had broadcast would come down from the stars out of the darkness of space impinge on the antenna and would get everybody going how the hell did that happen where did that come from and in fact there is a class of anomalous radio signals which have the property of exactly the long-term rebroadcast echoes that I just described and they're still mysterious. There was a guy some years ago named Duncan Luna and I wrote about him in uh, the Monuments of Mars. He thought he had detected the so-called Bracewell uh, transmissions from a probe located, I believe it was supposed to be at one of the uh, Lagrange points uh, in orbit around the Earth, either head of the moon by 60 degrees or behind the moon. I kind of forget which. Anyway, some years later, he he he, kind of recanted his decoding of what he thought was the return signals from a Bracewell probe. So, in this field, everything was dormant until a Muumuamua showed up in October of 2017. Having the orbital characteristics of a Bracewell probe, except it did not slow down. Like Rama, it made a turn around the sun and left in excess of the sun's escape velocity and even tonight, way out there, the calculation says that it's leaving at something like 58,000 miles per hour, 26 kilometers per second. If uh, we can get that in miles, I'd be very appreciative. Um, it's probably on the order of 19, 20, something like that, miles per second. It's, it's really moving, in I like the proverbial bat out of hell, never to return, unless maybe it wants to. I mean, one of the things that uh, David and Jimmy and I speculated about was what do we send this thing signals, and part of the uh, signal transmission is a request to turn around, come back, and put yourself in Earth orbit. I mean, that would get everybody's attention, right? Well, so far that has not happened, at least uh, I don't think it's happened. But instead, as we were doing the transmissions last Saturday evening, just before the show jimmy recorded on video and in fact we we, we have that video if you go to uh, the other side of midnight.com click on tonight's banner which says rather dramatically amazing things happened when we called a mua mua click on that banner; that will take you to the guest page click on my items scroll down to item number three this is a video montage Of all the weird things that happened over the antenna uh, last Saturday night and Jimmy has very carefully labeled them there's a countdown for each of the weird objects that appeared he then zooms in on the video so you can see actual close-ups of these objects and you can see that they are structured craft they are not you know dots of light they're not little blinking lights they literally wink in and out in the, in the space of one or maybe two or three frames. But while they're in view of the camera and you can zoom in, there is structure, there is detail, there is geometry. Oh, that word. In other words, they're, they're real three-dimensional objects that are hovering, photobombing his camera above the antenna as we were transmitting to Amuamua, And furthermore, they also appeared uh after the show just for the heck of it he decided to send a transmission to sirius given that some of our guests like uh michael lee hill have said that uh he's had uh, discussions with real three-dimensional folks here on earth with bodies that claim they are part of a race of beings kind of relationship to homo sapiens from sirius so Jimmy just decided to send a transmission to Sirius at the end of the evening after the show, and lo and behold, something showed up in front of that field of view, which uh, was very interesting because it was more than one object. And it was one object, first of all, to the right of the belt stars of Orion, and then a few minutes later, it was another set of objects, three objects that appeared simultaneously over the antenna and through the antenna. to the left of Orion, and to the left of Sirius, which is kind of that bright star in the middle of the two antenna elements when you play the video. So the video's there. It's number three. Go play it, and uh, you will have a lot of fun. Now, here's where things get squirrely and very interesting. Because while all this is going on, David Sarita, who's sitting – Thousands of miles away, maybe 1,500 miles away in southern Canada, is listening to and recording a handheld radio tuned to 144.1 megahertz. And the radio emits little chirps, but as David will describe to you, it's not radio signals, it's something controlling the speaker in the radio in a non-electromagnetic fashion, i.e. the torsion field. I mean, this is direct torsion field a control of matter, making the speaker vibrate and to produce these chirps, but in a total non-electromagnetic fashion, which, of course, is going to really confound all the mainstream physicists listening to me saying, come on, that's nuts. That cannot happen. Well, it happened. We've recorded it and we're going to play it for you right now. So what you want to do is you want to go to number four because these are the replays of the what we call burst transmissions that occurred during our test transmission window to Oumuamua. What you're going to hear first are the actual chirps recorded live, and then you're going to hear a sequence, the same chirps slow down because it occurred to me that what we were hearing is in what they call in the military burst transmissions meaning a lot of data compressed into a very 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 short period of time and in fact that's exactly what this sounds like and and keith has been working uh, with some other colleagues to get it slowed down to the point where we can actually begin to look at the individual frequencies and tell if it's voice If it's data or if it's a television raster, i.e., you know, pictures, maybe individual pictograms like we're sending tonight or a sequence of rapid pictograms, which, of course, is known as a motion picture. So here's what the original reception from Muamua sounded like, and then the slowed down version in mirror sequence. That's the original. That's the playback at slow speed. That's the original. That's the slow speed. One more time. Now, you may notice that the last one appears to be double in length, and if you listen very carefully to the slowed-down version, you can tell it's not static because you can hear individual submodulations. It almost sounds like uh, a recording of a very rapid-fire you know, machine gun. We'll play it one more time. original playback slow motion this is this is impossible a we shouldn't gotten anything back b we're getting it back faster than the speed of light c it's modulated There's information. This is not static. This is not random. This is not, you know, every very stupid stuff. This is real. And the implications of how and why and who and what are doing this are literally off scale. Um, Tonight, we're going to try something a little bit more adventurous. I've got about uh, three minutes till the bottom of the hour. So let me bring on David Sarita, who is one of the co-investigators in this madcap experiment. David is a citizen scientist. He is a generalist. He's been doing this kind of stuff with all different areas of human consciousness and scientific exploration for decades. He was an old alum of Art Bell show, like I've been. And David, um, what do you think we're involved in?
1: Well, first I want to answer your question about the kilometers, and this is going to shock a lot of people, because 26.03973291504 kilometers per second comes to the golden ratio in, um, in decimal. Um, it's 16.180339887. Oh, per
0: isn't that special?
1: you see i'm i'm only adjusting it a hair's breadth because you gave me 26 kilometers but actually even more shocking richard is the fact that i don't know what prompted me to do this but with this you know we talked about this this week where what i did is i took the um <clears throat> i took the distance of the closest distance that a Muamua came to Earth, which is twenty four million two hundred thousand kilometers, compared to an astronomical unit, which is the Earth to Sun average distance of one hundred and forty nine thousand five hundred and ninety seven eight seven oh miles. So when you when you do the math, when you take the astronomical unit divided by the closest distance a Muamua came it's 1 to 6.18. So <laughs> you have that golden ratio number again. So, hey, then- you want to hear
0: something really cool? And then we got, a, we got a break coming up in about a minute and a half. Yeah. But I'm, I'm looking up some numbers this afternoon to kind of get ready for the opening of the show. And I happened to stumble upon uh, something I'd taken notes on back in 2017, which, of course, have disappeared. I can't find them, so I have to reconstruct what I was doing, what I was thinking. It turns out, that when a Muamua came in from Lyra, made the screaming left-hand turn around the sun, and departed toward Pegasus, at its closest approach to the sun, are you sitting down? It was moving at 195,000 miles per hour. 195. 19.5.
1: There's a, yeah, so
0: the, In other oh. words, everything about this thing screamed somebody had targeted it artificially, and what's really cool is that Avi Loeb, for totally separate reasons, came to the same conclusion that we have. This damn thing was an artificial something sent to us deliberately by those that care to send the very best.
1: The only you would recognize 19.5, and 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 I have got thousands of numbers in my head like a like studying French I study numbers. So when I saw also on the live tracker the velocity was changing by the day, and the day we transmitted, it was traveling at six. <clears throat> it was traveling at golden ratio number 61,800. Miles per hour. So, so basically, this thing was signaling us with golden ratio mathematics, and that's that's impossible for something that is a naturally occurring. Yeah. uh, So we are we are in a new we are in a new paradigm,
0: and what's really bizarre is that new paradigm is talking to us in the same language of the physics, which is part and parcel of the most ancient. Sacred monuments of the human species, my guest this morning too numerous to mention. We'll go through them when we come back. You're on the other side of midnight. We're involved right now in a real-time experiment. Is a Mua going to answer tonight? We will give you that answer when we return.)
2: To it has been of course from this academic scientific side to try to show that from that point of view that even in the in the depths of the of the data that they're presenting they don't have a case they've misrepresented things they've distorted things in the public representations and of course i'm not alone in having come to that conclusion number one there are an increased number of deaths for 2020 but number two these are not caused by COVID-19 they're caused by the biological and psychological effects of the lockdowns themselves because when Mm -hmm. you lock people down when you wreck an economy you get an increase in heart disease, in cancers, you get an increase in what is called death of despair. Oh, you get suicides, you get drug addiction going up and overdoses killing people. And all of these things put together, by my estimate in my research paper, shows that As many as 600,000 people died in 2020 from just these things, deaths by despair and the effects of the lockdowns and the forced masking.
3: This is Dr.
2: James DeMeo, and I'm speaking to you from the other side of the news. Your program, I must say, compliment you. You're doing a great job in assisting to get around these barriers of censorship and erasure that the mainstream media is doing. Uh, so it's very important, and I congratulate you for the work you're doing. I'm an invited guest on the other side of the news and I found it to be a very enlightening and helpful and wonderful experience being interviewed by three intelligent people.
3: And
0: welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, December 11th, which is the second of our four weekends now we're going to devote in December. Originally, we, you know, thought we would only do like a, a brief transmission on the 4th, and then we wait until Christmas weekend, which is when the hyperdimensional physics it says it's the optimum time to try something like this. But the fact that we got such an extraordinary response a multi-channel response a redundant multi-channel response i mean probably that night we got hundreds of transmissions and uh i'm going to have david kind of explain again what we mean by this because we're not dealing with radio we can prove with something which is a you know mainstream physics gadget called a tri-field meter it measures three fields simultaneously and David will describe what it does. When we when we measure what we're getting, it's not EM. Okay, so, David, um, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, the clock calls. So where are we? Uh, talk about how these transmissions are coming to us and why they're not only interesting in terms of a response, but they're doubly interesting or triply or you know, probably a factor of 10 or 100, in terms of the mode of the
1: response. Well, we know that the the speed of the Navy pilot UAPs based on Kevin Day's USS Princeton radar data have reached, according to him, right on Netflix, he stated that a UAP jumped 60 miles in a second, which comes to 216,000 miles an hour. So, we, we Which know is that already that, uh,
0: about twice. Well, not quite, but it's way above the so-called speed
1: of light. Oh no no no! It's not above the speed of light. It's it, no, wait. Oh my God! Two hundred sixteen thousand miles per hour. One hundred eighty-six thousand two hundred eighty-two miles per second is the speed of light. Oh, you're right. You're right. So right. sorry. So, but but what's interesting about that again is it's it's an octave of four thirty-two because two hundred sixteen thousand miles an hour times oh. two is. 432,000 miles an hour. But what's amazing about that is the speed with which with the UAPs jump in front of the the antenna to get a selfie, as you call it, and then exit. And we were talking about this this week that because of the sensors we have already in place, and I, I've already researched these sensors, we have radar that can see hundreds of miles above the Earth's surface. So when something comes in at incredible speed, we see it, and we try to take it out. So they know they only have a fraction of a second to get out of the selfie position, and, and therefore it's quite miraculous that they appear in front of Jimmy's camera, which is in night vision mode, and you're not seeing streaking from them coming in and leaving because you can't actually optically see something moving at 216,000 miles an hour. In fact, if something's close to you, like a bullet traveling even 700 miles an hour out of a handgun, you can't see that either. You can only see things moving fast if they're incredibly distant from you. Then you can see them. When we're looking at meteorites streaking across the sky 40,000 miles an hour is what you're seeing. You know, even fifteen thousand miles an hour for a slower one. But the, the 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 issue here is that these UAPs or UFOs are appearing with no streaking or blurring in front of the camera. And this this afternoon, at around three p.m. Mountain Time, Jimmy was doing a test transmission, and with a blue sky, we can see a bright white object that's actually moving by the camera and the camera. Oh, it gets even more interesting. Let me,
0: let me give instructions to Conthea on air. If if you can go, Conthea to the Skype window, the chat window, you'll see two videos posted there. The one with the blue sky is the one that Dave is talking about right now. If you can post that as his next numbered item, and then below that post the black and white image as the, Following numbered item, the daytime sighting <clears throat> that David is describing, which you really need to see to believe, uh, during uh, the early transmissions this afternoon, um, is the first one. And the second one is what we are what we sent this afternoon into the evening uh, with the 3.69 hour time lag for it to get to Oumuamua and for the response to get back during the show. So we're now in the listening mode at the speed of light of a return signal from muamua well i think we're all, all on the verge of maybe throwing this whole light speed limitation kind of out the window which which makes it harder to prove to a skeptical mainstream that we're dealing with signals because you know when you have folks popping in and out at any time regardless of the three dimensional limitations of light speed it makes it harder to convince people who all their lives have been raised on the idea that the speed of light is the fastest mode of transport in the known universe. Sorry to interrupt there. Go ahead.
1: So, yeah, we know that Tesla, with his alternating current radio, went 1.618 times the speed of light. So we know there may be a function of the speed of light and golden ratio and or octave, actually. So, therefore, the, the, the time issue of what's called time dilation also came up which is that the further you get away from gravity time speeds up which means more time went by which means you live longer further away from the gravitational center and the closer you get to the gravitational center time in essence slows down so things are going by much slower so you're more dilated and locked in time so when you see that super high-speed pulse on the radio, which is not RF, there's no radio frequencies detectable on those incoming signals on the trifield meter, which can see up to 8 gigahertz radio signals. There's no activity at all. So that means that that chirp, which has an enormous amount of data, when, we, when I examined the wave structure of those chirps. And I looked at how many different frequencies are in a single chirp, which is going by in less than a second. Then you slow that down, which you played for us tonight. You played the slowed down version. Reminds me of the alien in the movie Arrival. Kind of the way everybody's talking about this movie. And I haven't seen it. So please, no spoilers. Okay, so. What's amazing about that is you have with possible evidence of what's called time dilation. And we know that Marconi and Tesla were receiving these same, what they both believe were extraterrestrial signals on their radio, uh, early radio experiments. And I believe we're, we're detecting the same things. But they didn't consider time dilation. And it was actually your idea for me to slow the recording down, which I did by a factor of 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 we're only hearing ten percent speed, so so that's um, so that's you slowed what it down
0: hearing. by so you slowed it down by a factor of ten.
1: Yeah, so you're you you're slowed it down by a factor of ten, and I think I can slow it down by another factor of ten, which would be another experiment. But well, I need to higher. hang on, hang on, and
0: then all you have to do is raise the octave,
1: like one octave well, no, or then two then octaves. What you have to do then is—is is actually I can slow it down in octaves. It's probably better to start from the top, but I need to re- re-record. I just ordered a high-res, ninety-seven, you know, uh, ninety-seven thousand bits per second radio recorder, so that I can record these chirps in higher resolution. So I'll have more bandwidth of resolution in my wave file. Then when I when I open up my wave file. I can see how many little ticks are in each burst and each one of those ticks as I can see them in, in my editing bay is each tick has got at least, at least 20 or 30 different frequencies in it. And the only thing, and I said this last time on your show, the only thing that looks like that is, is, is language and music. There's nothing else that looks like that because, because pure tones, If I show you a wave file of any tone like A440, A432, or A444, it's just a repeating exact size up and down wave bouncing along in a straight line. So that's not what the wave structure of the chirps looks like. So that rules out some type of tonal interference because that's not what tone's wave structure looks like. So we're, we we have two things happening, and, and it was your idea to try to get a synchronicity of the timing. Yes, of yes. The, the UFOs appearing in front of the camera and the chirps on the radio because the chirps seem to respond. It seems to take them uh, uh, less than a minute to even a couple of minutes to start after a transmission begins, and sometimes – there there is a little bit of delay and once they start chirping they they can chirp for quite a while like (laughs) i've seen them chirp for 20 minutes to a half an hour before they stop and i've never recorded a full half an hour of chirping to and and then slow the whole thing down it could be like an essay that they're sending us like we don't know yet so we've got Also, the idea of building a – so this is Einstein's action at a distance. And I want to bring up action at a distance because action at a distance circumvents the speed of light. For example, you would hook up electrodes or galvanic skin response to a mother rabbit and a baby rabbit, and they separate them by 6,000 miles. And they they pinprick the baby baby rabbit, and the mother's nervous system – Responds faster than the speed of light, instantaneously, six thousand miles away. They've done this. So who was the, who, who fun, was the, who
0: was the guy that did the secret, the secret life of plants?
1: That was Cleve Baxter. Cleve Baxter, Baxter. Cleve, Cleve Baxter did. You know, I, I got really involved with actually Cleve Baxter before he passed away, and also some of the other scientists in that movie did incredible experiments. There was one experiment where. An optical telescope was pointed at Sirius A and at the light collection end of the telescope, he put sprouts, sprouting plants that were connected to electrodes and then again a galvanic skin response, which is what a polygraph is. And he could see activity coming from the plants of receiving the light from Sirius, which he speculated was a faster than light signaling, meaning the plants... Because of their sensitivity to action at a distance, just like even a human nervous system has. In fact, this was an incredible experiment done in Russia, well, where wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 there, there There's a guy named Nikolai of uh, uh, Kozirev, who was mm-hmm. a big torsion field physicist that I quote and have written about extensively over the last you know uh, decade or two. Kozirev mm-hmm. discovered that if he put a torsion field detector in a sealed box so there was no light getting to the detector it was Mm -hmm. literally sitting there in darkness but it was at the focal point of a large russian telescope in the crimea the pokovo observatory which had i think a 50 inch mirror so that's a that's a that's a big telescope it's a professional Mm -hmm. sized telescope he found he got signals There were not light coming from various galactic and planetary objects, including the planets of the sun, the moon, Sirius, the galactic center, Andromeda. I, I forget the whole list. But what was stunning is these were signals that were bouncing off the aluminum of the mirror. And aluminum is... The only natural torsion active metal that we know. remember I said the top of the Washington mm-hmm. Monument was had this aluminum little pyramidion because it was a mm-hmm. torsion active metal? Well, Koza mm-hmm. got these signals, so what the plants are responding to, just like we discussed last week, if you want a an active torsion field detector, a life form, a plant, you know, a crustacean, a human being. Is kind of like a live antenna and receiver all in one. I never heard of Cleve Baxter doing this with the light from Sirius, but it's perfectly consistent with the model.
4: It is
1: perfectly consistent. I, I and I know a Russian experiment where they had sprouts detecting a um, solar flare. You know, eight point seven minutes before the flare reached Earth. They they. they detected the flare on the sun in real time and then by the time the light got to earth you know eight minutes and 21 seconds later the you know the regular light curve hit the planet yeah. but the point is the plants um could detect the signal actually it wasn't plants it was it was microorganisms uh-huh. so i'll tell
0: you what, let, tor- let, let, yeah. i i hate to interrupt but, but bruce allheim dr bruce allheim who's a professor of physics at a, um, a southern california college and who uh, you know, graciously uh, consented to my invitation to be part of the, uh, the conversation tonight. What I wanted Bruce to do, because he's been in contact since he was four with some kind of extraterrestrial intelligence. I'm not quite sure who it is, but they're talking to him. And so I thought it might be interesting given that we've now established that whatever we're getting transcends the limited physics of speed of light communication that we go to Bruce and we'd see what his friend Anzar – remember Anzar is kind of like an emblem that's a, uh, a two-dimensional equilateral triangle that when you fold it up becomes a three-dimensional tetrahedron, so his friend knows the language. And so, Bruce, uh,
5: are you there? Uh, yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, this is – well, it's, it's fascinating hearing what you guys are, are talking about. Very exciting. But I do uh, – uh, also, I'm a professor of history, not of, of physics. Oh, did I say
0: yes. physics? I meant history.
5: Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, no, that's, that's all right. just want to make sure it's accurate. Um, this is what I've been told. So uh, in, in the communication that I do during these, these spirit walks – and uh, I got some communication here as you guys were talking too, but I'll, I'll start with what he's told me recently based on listening to these uh, – know the recordings the responses that you guys got which is
0: your friend anzar
5: who claims to
0: be a progenitor a very interesting term
5: anzar the progenitor yeah an ancient alien mystic and as as he sometimes calls himself a long lost relative so (laughs) kind of interesting so anyway he's telling me uh the translation um is a warning for humanity uh, he always says, stay in the light. And so that, that's part of it. Uh, a warning beacon, a sentinel, uh, that there are some uh, of these these hyperdimensional alien beings who wish to do us harm. And there are others like Anzar who are trying to help. Um, and more recently, he said that um, the messaging from... Uh, Oumuamua is a warning beacon, a warning signal, packaged information, instructions on how to deal with non-human entities who are pushing humans into madness. Mm. And uh, so that's, that's – and, and then during the um, – tonight, as I was listening to you guys, I kind of opened up some communication lines with him before the show started, and, uh, uh, and as you had requested me to do. And as I was listening, I uh, heard a couple of things. One of them was that um, this concept of—he's trying to put it into terms that I understand and a lot of folks would may- maybe understand better—an uh, interstellar message in a bottle.
0: <laughs> and
5: I think of the idea. Well, of the is that in a, a mua mua? Yeah.
0: Okay. That's, yeah. That kind I think of fits
5: to.
0: Yeah. that's kind I of fits I, I thought it might be.
5: Yeah. and uh, Packaged the, in uh, a way
0: that our three-dimensional 21st mm-hmm. century physics can understand.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So and then in terms of the sound, uh, I, I, the way it was described to me, it's like a dragon's breath, which is kind of interesting. The symbol of the dragon, when you think about it, uh, it has so much uh, uh, you know, mythological and, and symbolic power. Uh, which reminds me of you know the the warning you get from uh, about China, which he's been telling me about for some time now, uh, which is the most revered symbol in in uh, China, of course, is the dragon. Um, and then I, I, it, I was reminded of something I was told a long time ago that um, lines of communication follow lines of transportation. So when you're talking about faster than light speed, uh you know the 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 signals coming in uh that that's something that we use in history all the time when we talk about advancements you know like when they built the transcontinental they didn't just build the transcontinental they also built the telegraph wires that went along the 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 rail bed or the, the rail line so those lines of communication followed the lines of transportation and now of course we're taking leaps into uh you know into a new consciousness so which is ultimately where all this is leading you know this idea of the the consciousness is primary consciousness is all so anyway those are just some of the thoughts some of the messages that i've been getting uh as you guys are opening this up and and uh on this great adventure
3: Mm -hmm. very
5: interesting yeah
0: yeah let me let me bring in robert morningstar robert of course is uh uh been involved in the ufo investigatory field for decades uh, he's an old friend of mine personally and of the show he has his own uh programs um he is editor of
6: the ufo what what's the full title robert ufo digest is uh ufodigest.com is now archived but i'm still producing ufospotlight.org thank you okay so what are your
0: thoughts about <clears throat> not only our radio efforts, but also, uh, you know, Bruce's friend Anzar and some of what he's talking about.
6: Well, you know, I'm also, besides uh, rational and logical, I'm also very intuitive. And it's interesting that Bruce and David had an interest, interesting reactions. Bruce with the idea of a warning and um, David reminded of the science fiction film, The Arrival. I was reminded of a science fiction film instantly, instantly. And the film and the scene is the forbidden planet when the still invisible monster from the id is stalking the crew and you have not yet seen him. What when you, when you first see of him are footprints being embedded in the soil as he's moving along invisibly. They used a the very strange sound. To make mark uh, his footsteps or its footsteps, and that's what came to mind when I heard the slow, uh, the slowing down of the, the chirps that uh, David got. So I think that we're homing in on something here on on a psychic level and also uh, this intuitive level. So I think it is a warning that uh, what that warning may be. But Bruce, you said something specific about how to deal with entities that are trying to put alien entities that are pushing humanity toward madness, I would agree with you on that, in that regard. And yeah. uh, you also mentioned China. And I think that China has made a deal with the devil and turned its own destiny over already to a higher level of artificial intelligence, which is, which is completely not only inhuman, but anti-human. And I sense from my long experience that there are extraterrestrials who are hoping to help us out of this bind. But it is, seems to me that the New World Order and supranational organizations, that is above national governments, has made a deal with an extraterrestrial entity and is trying to carry out an agenda which is uh, fundamentally uh, genocidal. Well, we've got about three minutes of to the top of the hour.
0: <clears throat> let me let me say one thing, you know, to sure. kind of kind of you know, kind of bound what you just said. I believe yes, China made a deal with the devil, but it's not E.T.s. It's with the breakaways. Remember, the Nazis that left the Earth using this extraordinary torsion field technology at the end of World War II, they went out into the solar system. They had seventy plus years to get their act together to pilfer the libraries to develop sophisticated variants of the technology and they've always looked at earth because it's the only place you can live in the solar system without technology they want to move back and i think that there is a there is this unholy alliance and i think it's between them and they're not et's at all they're just us transported out there 70 plus years ago with the chinese and they somehow got on the wrong side of the breakaways, and the Chinese have suffered as a consequence, and maybe they're now back on the reservation. I mean, remember, just a couple weeks ago, they took a photo of something extraordinary on the far side of the moon, and they said they're going to be there. They're going to literally give us close-up images in two or three lunar days. Well, that turns out to be a couple, three months from now.
6: Well, if you believe, as I do, that the New World Order is the Fourth Reich, is the breakaway Nazis... That's what um, I think, yes. Yeah, well, then we cannot dismiss uh, the alien presence because the Nazis had made an agreement uh, with the reptilian aliens. And I spoke to you about how many years I wondered about that term that Hitler used repeatedly, that they were going to create a master race and a blonde beast. And as it turns out, William M. Tompkins says that the Office of Naval Intelligence found okay, that Hold, Hitler hold,
0: hold it there. Hold it there. I want to come back for a few closing words after the break from okay. Dr. Solheim. My guests this morning are David Sarita, Bruce Solheim, Robert Morningstar. We've got uh, Ron Gervron waiting in the wings. And joining us in the third hour will be Andrew Curry. And, of course, Keith is going to talk about something that he witnessed as part of his setup for the program tonight that I think needs to be discussed in the first person. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and this is Karen Carpenter with what we hope is going to happen.
7: Of interplanetary most extraordinary craft. Rolling on our the
3: mountains of planetary grass. Rolling on our the mountains of planetary rocks, the golden things mm-hmm. we've got. have been out there in the heart. And we'd mm-hmm. like to make a contact with you.
7: We are your friends The other side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hodlund and his fascinating guests Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio deal at the cutting edge of science and thought.
3: <laughs> the other
7: site of Midnight.com Falling Arctic <laughs> of
3: Interplanetary
7: Crash Falling Arctic of Interplanetary Ultra El Clear
0: And welcome back, everyone, to this Saturday night, December 11th edition of The Other Side of Midnight, where we are in a listening mode to see if, in fact, because it's very, very complicated out there. I mean, all the models, all the projections, all the the folks that have taken this seriously for some time, we're not dealing with one species or one you know set of relatives or one anything and maybe in terms of the muamua transitions when we're getting responses it's pretty much as robert just said and bruce said from his contact that in fact maybe someone is giving us a kind of a scorecard a uh, a um, telephone directory of who's the good guys who's the bad guys who's the manipulating guys In other words, did anybody ever think this was really going to be simple?
7: and transmit thought
0: energy for so i know bruce you have limited time and you have to leave us uh fortunately not permanently <laughs> what do you have to say as as kind of final thoughts this morning
5: what you said and what what robert said and i, I just would add and i think i mentioned to this to you before but uh, there is a former government official, a very prominent former government official who confided to a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who I believe, uh, uh, he told him, this former government official told him that uh, they know about this conflict that's going on between uh, hyperdimensional entities, alien entities. They They, they know about it. And, of course, they're not admitting that. There's a lot they're not admitting, of course. <laughs> yes. But, but, but this, if I mention this person's name, you would. everybody knows who he is. But anyway, that I just thought I wanted to throw that out there. And the other thing is kind of interesting based on what you guys are talking about, breakaway civilization and Nazis. I have an actual Nazi aunt. I had an actual Nazi aunt. She's passed away now. And she was involved in 1973 with one of my abduction experiences. It was – her that I initially saw in my room before I was abducted. And uh, of course, you know, we know the connection there. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, uh, connection to what we're talking about with who these uh, entities are who are pushing us into madness. And what Anzar actually told me was non-human entities. So I guess that can kind of open it up. I suppose you could think of that as aliens, but not necessarily aliens. So, well, the way I'm categorizing, you have humans, you know,
0: the Mm -hmm. us relatives, cousins, whatever you want to call them, and then you have non-human intelligence, which is by definition alien. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I, I think a lot of people confuse the two all the time because one of my assumptions is in sending these messages to a muamua. We're dealing with someone that knows the human race extraordinarily well, so there isn't yeah. a problem at their end of translation. You know, we 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 could send the New York phone directory, and they'd be able to give us addresses if we sent them just names, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But for those in the middle who have no idea any of this has been going on or is possible, they may simplify the initial messages to where again the middle of the curve. Will recognize it in the SETI paradigm as an answer response scenario.
5: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. Uh, you know. I. This is all. You know. It. It. It is a lot. I mean, it is a. It. It is a tremendous amount of of information and. Uh, And not just that, but consciousness raising, you know, this idea that you you have to elevate your consciousness to to grasp, begin to grasp what is happening.
0: Well, yeah, that which uh, you can't imagine, you can't see, you know, kind of axiomatic. You got to have an imagination big enough to at least think, well, this might be possible. Remember, Brookings advised decades ago that we have generations of preparation of the culture With all the space movies and Star Trek, and you know every imaginable extraterrestrial scenario, so that basically, you know, the middle of the culture was like, oh, I've I've seen that, you know, like
5: the arrival. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you read, you know, people reach what the late Jim Mars used to call the boggle factor. You know, it just boggles their mind and their imagination. So they, they, they get stuck and they just can't go any further or they have to be, you know, jarred back into reality and then reapproach it or whatever. But, but anyway, that, 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 you know, we're at this, this, this point and uh, we've been at this point and it's just accelerating. So at warp nine,
0: um, <laughs> uh, one last thing before you have to leave us. Yeah. Anzar says something specifically about these experiments I believe he's addressing the idea that there's a lot of information in these chirps, and these bursts, and our job is to decode and translate the messages. Am I correct?
5: Yeah. What, what did he say? He said uh, packaged information. So that that tells me well, – he said it was a warning beacon, a warning signal, messaging, but he said packaged information, which means – That has to be unpacked, whether it's, you know, the pictures or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah,
0: it's like a tutorial.
5: Yeah, it's so that's exactly what you guys were talking about earlier in in the first hour.
0: Well, by next weekend, by next Saturday night's transmission, remember, I'm trying to do this every seven hyperdimensional days because because of the COVID stuff, we know there's a seven day cycle of life on Earth, like a metronome, relentless again and again and again a week from tonight we might have courtesy of keith and his uh work uh an actual first cut at what whoever's out there is trying to say
5: yeah that'll be great and i'll i I will keep my radar dish up so as much as i can
8: super yeah but if, <laughs> if 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 you can
0: if something really dramatic comes through you know where to find us tonight on the air yes yes i do Can I I ask you one
1: question? Can I ask you one question? This is Robert,
0: Robert Morningstar.
1: Um, No, but um, I want to ask if you're getting anything. I had a dream last night of a massive bear claw imprint on my back door, which faces north, which faces the Big Dipper, the bear. Ursa Major, yep. Ursa Major, and in fact, I just checked, Ursa Major is right to the north, and in the dream, it was the north door, this huge bear paw, you know, dented the door as if it was a steel door. And oh it's not a steel door, but it was like sending me a message from, from major. And I just want to know if you're getting anything from that constellation or if you could
5: ask. I, I, I can ask, but I, I will tell you this. We've had a lot of bear activity around here where we live. I mean, a lot of bear activity more than, I mean, it was kind of, quiet for a while every once in a while we would have have him show up but he's been showing up almost you know almost every day every night so and where are in, you in, in southern california the san gabriel mountains
1: oh wow so so it yeah, could be can, a
5: message from the bear constellation
1: i just wonder
5: if there's yeah, something
1: coming I ask. or from why why there t- tune into that that'd be an interesting
5: i will i will ask
6: before you go, I'll Bruce, I have a question for you. Yeah. You, mentioned, you mentioned that during one of your ET encounters, your aunt was present. Now, did you mean that they presented her spirit to your vision, or was she physically there before she died?
5: She was physically there. She was visiting uh, in 1973, visiting us. It was Christmas oh, time. And, uh, but she morphed. when she, I, I woke up because my cat jumped off the bed. Mm-hmm. And I I looked at her and she was there physically and then uh, she morphed into this kind of reptilian looking thing and that's when you know I was paralyzed and that's when I was brought up and uh, you know yeah. into the ship for what what they called special processing.
6: Well, you so, know the reason the reason I asked because something struck me uh, in you're relating that and mentioning of course that during the war she was a Nazi. And Maria Orsic came to mind and the group in the Brill Society, the women seers, the women mystics Mm -hmm. who drew down the plans and uh, actually opened up the channel of communication with reptilians from the uh, constellation Taurus, specifically Aldebaran. So I Mm -hmm. was wondering if your aunt could have been um, perhaps initiated into something of that because the occult permeated. uh, Oh, yeah. Philosophy
5: and ideology. I mean, she, she was a war criminal. I mean, she was sentenced to death after the war, but she only served nine years because my dad's oldest brother, my uncle, was a war hero, and he used all the money that he had and his reputation to get her out after nine years of. Uh, but she was initially sentenced to to death. She was a, a you know a, a Gestapo agent. Oh, then
6: she must certainly have been initiated. The Gestapo was, the Gestapo was the equivalent of the Jesuits in Nazi, if you really want an analogy, and they were steep in the same. uh,
5: She was a true believer. She believed me, and uh, she 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 loved animals, you know, but uh, she, she didn't care for people. You know, too many people, mm. only really certain types of people. But anyway, so I just—it's a tie-in. It sounds like I, we could
0: do an entire show some evening
5: on your aunt. Oh, she—she she was, uh, <laughs> yeah, she was, she was quite something. Very, I mean, very, very smart. Spoke, of course, perfect German. So, such perfect German that when I lived in Germany, when I was stationed in Germany, uh, I didn't have a phone, but my landlord upstairs did, and she called and wanted to speak to me. She called him because he had a phone and he came down and got me and I talked to her. And then he, he, afterwards he said, uh, is, is your aunt German? And I said, no. And he said, well, she speaks perfect high German. And he said, why is that? You know, she lives in Norway, you said, right? And I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I said, it's a long story. I didn't want to tell him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she was a true believer, but fascinating guys. So yeah, I, I have to drop off, but, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what, what else comes up, and I will keep my radar dish uh, up and uh, share with you anything that I find or hear, Richard. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Okay. Good night, guys. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Okay. Kinthea, in her
0: usual efficient manner, David, has been able to post the two videos, um, uh, number eight and number nine in your section of Radio with Pictures. I think I want to do number nine first, which is, I believe, it says something about Dropbox, which tells me it's a huge file. I'm not sure whether we can actually hear it if I try to play it from here. So do you have a sample of what we're sending or what we sent beginning this afternoon and ended shortly, uh, a short time ago?
1: Yeah, we had a... um... You mean mean for people to actually hear
9: it? Yes, yes, of course.
1: It's radio. Oh yeah. So we got to go to <laughs> Jimmy's um, email to me, which I I just put in the chat, I believe. So
0: yeah, Keith, can you tell
1: me while you're doing that if I click on
0: this Dropbox thing, will we actually be able to play the the tones?
4: Uh, you should
0: be able to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me do that. There it
1: is. It's Oumuamua, December 11th wave file. So if I click on that, do you guys want to play it, or do you want me? No, to no, play no, it? You, no, 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 you, no. You,
0: you play it, and then we'll talk about what's what we
1: encoded that's different from last Right. Thing. Then we'll talk about what's in here because it is different. Okay. Here it goes. I've got to turn up my volume a bit so your my microphone will pick this up. It's nine minutes long, though. You well, we don't need the it? whole thing. No. Okay. Yeah,
6: <laughs> no, No. No. One
1: of those in the beginning of the transmission are a Fibonacci sequence of numbers as tones, and the wave file is perfectly structured, unlike the chirps we're getting. Another interesting thing my my assistant thought was, Shiroz texted me that dolphin chirps are really, really fast, right, when Mm. dolphins are communicating. And I wonder what would happen if you slowed down dolphin chirps. I mean, we can try that and see if the structure of of dolphin languaging has has any similarity to, um, you know, what we're hearing on
2: these
1: these radios, right? I mean, it'd be very interesting to see that because, again, dolphins are communicating in very high-frequency bands, and that also suggests a, a sort of time dilation between frequencies not necessarily frequency. because remember the speed of sound underwater is very different than the speed of sound in air right just like light you have the refractive index light slows down about twenty-three, twenty-five 25 percent underwater mm. okay okay skip so, to skip,
0: yeah, I- skip if you can can you skip to the middle of our messages tonight because i noticed when i went to the ones last week and i couldn't find them when i got well into them like in the middle of the five minutes, there was very different coding and it sounded very different and I wish we'd been able well, to Well let play me it.
1: tell you what's in the sequence. So the first sequence is one minute minute of Fibonacci tones, then there's a one minute pause. Then there's the number eighty nine and one forty four, which are two Fibonacci sequence numbers whose ratio equaled the tractor velocity of a Muamua when we did the transmission last week. So then there's another pause for a minute. Then there's Jimmy's eight tones, the eight numbers. Then there's a pause, and then there's the Washington Monument octaves, and which which we, we you and I need to talk about. And then there's yeah, the we're going to definitely
0: talk about why I wanted to send those tonight.
1: Yeah, and then there's then we sent the ET replies in slow motion, which everybody heard tonight. And then then after the next pause is the pictogram of the Washington Monument. So that went out tonight three times before the show. And um, so that's what's on the track. The only thing is this track – here, let me move to the middle of it. You can hear something in the middle. Like this is – beat frequency i don't know which because they're not labeled on the audio track but i just read them out to everybody and that's what sent out you know to Amu a tonight well so skip, it,
0: skip, uh, samples skip through it because there was some okay. very interesting stuff on the last week that i wish we'd been able to play i didn't know it was there so i was trusting okay, here it goes sounds like a repeat
1: of the sequence. Okay, that sounds like it could be Jimmy's eight tones. That might be the eight tones. And then I can move. It's quite intense, you know, with my speakers that I have in here. I've got some pretty powerful speakers in the studio. It's coming through very clearly. Good. Now here's another one that's near the end.
0: Well, oh, that's the slowdown version of what they sent us last week.
1: Now, if you really listen to this, yeah, that is. And you'll notice that each each little packet has a totally different personality, just like a word, right? If I say cat, dog, Bob, Fred goes to the store, like each one of those words has a different kind of vibe to it. So when you listen to these, they're they're not – it's not like the same – word, it keeps repeating. It's speaking different words. Like, you can see this. So, you, and I, I'm looking at the wave, a little bit of a wave file. I mean, Jimmy's player shows a little bit of wave structure, not as good as my professional audio bay, but there's so much data in these bursts. There's so much personality. Well, we got a on.
0: week to decode something, so when we come on the air next week, we may actually have something that will tell us what they're trying right. to say. Richard, well, Richard?
8: Yes, who's this? Sorry. Yeah, this is Ron. Oh, hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. Sorry. Yeah, sorry to jump in, but there, you mentioned the dolphins. I was waiting. I didn't want to step on the tones. Uh, down at SeaWorld in San Diego, they um, have discovered that they um, the dolphins learn a certain amount of human speech working with their trainers. and they, In other words, they can understand commands because they can understand the English. They figured it out. But in order to hear their responses – uh, they have to slow the um, dolphins responses way down. I mean, a lot more than you're slowing things down.
1: Oh, that's incredible. That's an incredible piece of information right there. You
8: see? Yeah. And there's real data. I can't quote you numbers or anything. Cause I mean, these are like news items. It's an ongoing thing. You could find out. just call SeaWorld and ask them, you know, or contact well, them. An,
1: just the fact that they slow it down,
8: <laughs> we're on the right track. That's, that's it. Yeah, that is incredible. Yeah, I figure a factor of a hundred, not ten, but you know, just keep going. You'll know when you went further than. Well, you I, what to... I
1: just, see, I need better resolution. So, because I recorded the audio on my iPhone, and the i and the iPhone, you know, uh, 12 has a pretty good microphone in it, but it's not like I've got a thousand dollar Neumann that I'm talking on right now that I can plug into a Taz cam that I just bought that will record at 90 98 kilobytes per second. So. So when I get audio of the chirps with this Newman and that, then I look at the data. I think, and then slow it way down. See, if you slow something way, way down, and your your, your bits per second isn't fast enough, you, you're going to miss a lot,
8: is what I'm saying. Oh, you've got all the well, since it is bits, you've got all the data you're going to get from the original signal. But if you slow it down, what you lose are the higher frequencies. Yeah, I'm words, gonna
1: you have to, high, you're right. I'm going to lose my higher frequencies. You're but right. they're
8: still there. Every bit of information is still there. It's, it's just the same translated,
1: It's just slowed
8: down. Right. You're, it's you're- been translated to a lower octave. Yeah, you just need to – so you just need to step it up into the um,
3: – Into uh, the audio range.
8: Yeah, right. And every, every audio program will do that if you hunt for it. You know, just, yeah, but the uh, other thing you
1: know, I'm looking at are the ratios between each beat to see if there's some harmonic in the structuring of this possible language. Right. Again, you know, pure tones don't look like random wave structures. Random wave structures Mm. are visible in, in human voice, also in musical instruments that are organic. Um, even nature sounds actually could produce some pretty, you know, um, pretty erratic wave structures, but pure tones don't look like this. So I think there's yeah. something here. There, there really is something here, and it's it's just got to be – like in the movie Arrival, it takes them a <laughs> long time to <laughs> learn each other's language. It's a pain. You situation. really
8: loved that movie, didn't you? I thought it was one of the worst movies I ever saw. I've been waiting for a chance to say that, but anyway. I'm oh, no, it's, yeah. it's incredible because when you understand time
1: and time dilation, which is how these – ET's move the time is not a measurement it's a force it, it's it's a dimensional force i think that movie was well brilliant.
0: to to put everything on the table this is why i wanted to have andrew come on in the third hour by the way andrew sent us something to play i'm not going to play it on the air i have not you know, pre pre uh, listened and i don't like Putting things that I haven't listened to on the air calls. So when Andrew comes on, he'll tell us why we should listen to this. He has listened. I don't want to violate any FCC things, you know, if we can help it. So we will have him play something he says is relevant to, to tonight's conversation. With Andrew,
8: when, he's a Canadian. He's
0: he's always polite when he when he gets here. You yeah. know. Anyway, let me let me go back to our model. Remember. Several And David, you're not aware of this, but several weeks ago, probably now bordering on a couple months, we found something in the NASA imagery of the Jezero crater on Mars, um, where Perseverance, the incredibly sophisticated nuclear-powered rover, the second one from Curiosity, has been landed, uh, landed on February 18th of this year, and it's been prowling around in sending back amazing pictures, and there appears to be an ancient shattered glass dome over the crater, the 30-mile-wide crater. At the southern end, looking down from orbit with the highest resolution imagery from both the NASA spacecraft, MRO, and the European spacecraft, which is Mars Express, there is this bizarre architectural alignment structures, very large structures on the scale of miles just like at Sidonia. and the largest set appears to be the Giza pyramid geometry or the belt stars of Orion but placed on the Martian landscape backwards like a mirror image right next to it is a smaller scale version, still incredibly impressive with miles, you know, size architecture. But that replicates the Giza geometry the way it's duplicated on the Giza Plateau, which is on the scale of a few thousand feet. So we have these two mega architectural memorializations on Mars in this crater At the southern end of it, mirror images of each other, one much larger than the other. And the way I interpreted that is someone wanted to memorialize the importance of the belt stars of Orion. Then they wanted to memorialize something happening to our view of those belt stars because the belt stars are located, you know, 1,500 or so light years away, give or take. The way I'm interpreting this is there was some kind of event which literally turned space inside out, trapping us in a mirror image bubble in the galaxy, and we have been peering out at the universe from inside this bubble. Now, one of the things that would be kind of concomitant in that theory And actually, we are at the bottom of the hour, so I need to actually take a pause, which I will do, because what I'm about to describe next could be an answer to several mysteries, like what's going on with the human race right now through our entire history? Why do things appear to be so weird, almost deliberately weird, and getting weirder? And number two... Why do these burst transmissions from someone answering our call to Amua, why do they appear to be time dilated? In other words, like they're coming from beyond this dimension, maybe beyond this time bubble. You're on the other side of midnight. We're in the midst of our second Mua radio transmission experiment My name is Richard C. Hoagland, we shall return.
7: Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost 995 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of Midnight.com
1: Welcome back,
0: everyone. It is Saturday night, December 11th. In the midst of our second session of the transmissions, and we're going to get to the video that Kenthia has posted momentarily, and then we're going to get to Keith, who saw something this evening, kind of like toward the end of the transmissions, when the antenna system was pointed toward the horizon, toward the rising of Orion and Sirius. And that could get very interesting indeed. So let me bring my guests back on. We've got David Sarita and Ron Gerbron, our resident generalist. And uh, we have Bruce Solheim. He had to leave, unfortunately. And uh, last but not least, Robert Morningstar, who has a deep background in UFO, UAP, things that go bump in the night, lots of things. That go bump the night. So anyway, let me let me kind of conclude with my my uh, laying out the foundation here. So the model that uh, that a number of us have been kind of kicking around is the events on Mars, the structures on Mars that NASA has recorded and made public without comment imply to me the memorialization of an epic in solar system history when something dramatic happened and this system and the intelligence therein, namely us and maybe our progenitors, and Zara, are you listening? We're encapsulated in something kinda like the the Phantom Zone from the, you know, Superman uh, franchise. And whoever's trying to reach us can only do so in very limited ways. One would be very, very, very low bit rate symbology. That's where we come to dreams and the symbolic messages and dreams. Like I'm paying very close attention, Robert, to your dreaming of Ursa Major, a bear claw imprint on a door, which has levels of meaning, but only if you kind of stored the symbolism beforehand and then it's triggered by one very low bandwidth symbol communication. The other would be if we interpret these chirps as extraordinarily high frequency because they're coming from a different time flow, higher dimension into our lower dimensional bubble, and there's a problem of the two t- flows of time are different in each of the two dimensions, something is trying to project into this very low frequency environment a very high frequency chirp message packet or series of packets and in order to decode it and a identify what they're trying to transmit is it voice is it language is it images is it television is it something that we can't conceive of in terms of our modern technological prowess Or is it something really radically different, which we'll only find out if we uh, get kind of like a a how-to manual? And again, from Bruce's friend, Anzar, that appears to be what we should be getting when we get the right equipment assembled to basically decode through the computer what could be being sent to us at very, very high speed. So that's kind of where I think we are tonight. And I'd be really interested in hearing anybody's uh, response to any of this.
1: Well, I, I want to say, Richard, because you brought up um, Orion's belt. And I did this. It took me two years to do this. But almost any star you can think of, based on its radius, I calculated its wavelength at its equator and then divided it actually by golden ratio octaves. And Mintaka, which is then the belt has a 432 octave which is it's incredibly close to 432 i mean i've got it to like 16 decimals on on any star you can think of i've done it so you take for example ryan's belt has a 16.5 times the radius of our sun's 432,288 miles and based on that i calculate the the wavelength At the equator, and then I I make all my octaves, there's over 50 octaves, and then I get into my audible bands of that star, and no two stars produce the same numbers. This is really amazing. So one time on Jimmy's radio, I sent a signal out at 432 megahertz to a particular star in Orion, and it chirped back the next number in the sequence that I did not send it. Mm. As in the chirp with, I have a meter that reads the frequencies in the chirps. It's just a frequent audio frequency meter and it reads accurate to many decimals. And the question is in one second and and knowing how far away these stars are (laughs) there, the speed of light is irrelevant, right? And, And a radio wave is irrelevant how did I get the next number in the sequence chirp back to me in only a few seconds after I transmitted. And this was a particular star in, in Orion that I did the experiment with. So I believe there, there is a substratum that can explain Einstein's action at a distance, what he called spooky action at a distance. And we might be dealing with that in these radios because there's no other answer For a star that's that far away um, to be able to signal you back so quickly. And and how did it know the next number in the sequence? I'm the only person on earth who's ever done this. I mean, literally any star you can think of, I've got over 50 octaves. They're golden ratio octaves. I don't use a traditional musical octaves because because the universe is built on golden ratios. So therefore, I've got like 14 decimals of accuracy on over 50 numbers per star. It took me two, uh, two years of my spare time to do this. <laughs> and I'm looking at Mintaka's numbers right now, and, and it has a four, it's almost 432. It's so close. And you have to understand, there's no other star anywhere you can think of that will have an octave of that number. It just won't exist. And, and well, see, that, see, I, what think- what, What's so interesting, David, about <clears throat> my, you know, interpretation
0: of these incredibly mega architectural monuments on in, in jezero and the mirror image is that the position of mintaka which is the star that's moving that's at an angle to the other two Alnitak, mm-hmm. and i forget the name of the other one uh that forms that angle that's moving through space it's called proper motion so over time in the galaxy it's kind of like is a, uh, a reverse clock. If you if you take a picture tonight, and you could have taken a picture several hundred thousand years ago, you would have seen that third star Mintaka at a different angle to the other two than it is tonight. Yeah, Anilam
1: is the other one. Yeah, yeah,
0: Anilam. Anyway, so its proper motion is kind of like a celestial clock. So what I right. did was I correlated – in taka's motion in the galaxy with the relationship to those two other belt stars and then I inverted the equation and derived a time for when it would have matched what we see in the larger mega architecture uh, next to the smaller Giza analog there at the bottom of Jezero and it turns out to be several hundred thousand years ago which to me, is maybe when the event, the encapsulation, the um, phantom zone, you know, event to us happened and someone tried to memorialize it for future generations, you know, hundreds of thousands of years in the future, because it's really critical for all of humankind to, A, figure out what happened, and B, figure out how to undo it. If we're in prison, if we have been, you know, Alex Jones, Prison Planet, if that's not a metaphor, we got to figure it out. And maybe, just maybe, someone is trying to send us the, the, you know, the keys to the cell in these transmissions because we have now done the things that they've been waiting for, God knows how many thousands, millions of years. We've asked for help. We have sent out a message to their emissary, Amuamua, and they've responded in multiple ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Amuamua has this golden ratio code everywhere, like I said earlier tonight. The ratio of its closest approach to Earth to one astronomical unit, the Earth-Sun distance average, is one to the the golden ratio number appears there in, in the in the ratio one to six six one eight so therefore and don't forget the 33 degree that. angle from lyra into the plane right of the solar so you have system. The 33 and let's bring that up because that's one of my points tonight on Kinsey's list for me because the 33 degree angle is so remarkable It's so incredibly remarkable when you consider there, there are several pieces of math I've done in the Great Pyramid of Egypt that show that number. For example, if you take the the 26.3 degree, what they call the Bethlehem angle, what Peter Missouri called the Bethlehem angle and the, the ascending-descending passage angle, you take 360 degrees and subtract 26.3 degrees, you've got 333 degrees point. So you see the 3333. Also, the slope angle on the thinks his face was argued in the movie mystery of the things with charleston heston to be 32 degrees and if you take pyramid angle and you convert your degrees minutes and seconds 51 degrees 51 minutes 14.3 seconds which is built out of a golden ratio rectangle by the way and you you divide that slope angle by the golden ratio you come to 32 degrees which is which is ever so close right so you look at all the signatures in a mua with golden ratio numbers, and you you start to see is this is is the same architect who designed the Great Pyramid the architect of a intelligence like what are the odds of its ratio to an astronomical unit being one to golden number like you you can't make this stuff up and when you <laughs> said tonight the velocity. In in um, in kilometers per second.
0: No, of miles per second.
1: And then you convert that to to your 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 um, kilometers. Again, you get the golden number again expressed. Right? We we showed that earlier tonight. So there's no way you can make this stuff up. There there it, it's it's so intelligently driven and designed for it to come to that close proximation to the Earth. So that the relationship of that distance of 24,200,000 kilometers to one astronomical unit of 149,597,870 is a ratio of 1 to 6.18. So that's a golden number again, right? So why is the Muamua doing this and why isn't anybody noticing that this is intelligent design? This is not random Yeah, but remember, we have been
0: acculturated for decades uh, by people that wrote for um, Scientific American. Who was that? Oh, big skeptic that wrote for Scientific American for years. He had a had a column, and people tried to kind of run some of these coincidences by him and argue they weren't coincidences, and he would take off in the most outlandish you know, over-the-top hysterical comparisons to basically blow holes in any idea that there was meaningful relationships in ancient sacred sites or ancient architecture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Total disinformation, you know, censorship, don't let them think about that as possible heritage or high-tech imprints from a former extraordinarily high-tech epoch of human civilization, et cetera, et cetera. So when I saw Muamua, Mua, the first thought I had was time capsule that was sent by us a long time ago to us a long time ago. Are you aware that uh, normally things are moving in the galaxy in orbits around the center of the galaxy and at our distance? It takes about 240 million years to circle the center of the Milky Way once
1: oh yeah i i I did huge research into that many years ago okay, where yeah, now there are yeah. other objects that aren't do not share the motions
0: of the plane of the galaxy, which is kind of right. like the plane of the solar system, and so you yeah, could go en-
1: above it and below it yeah we'd you go you you, you yeah. could
0: encounter objects that are moving much faster than we are around the center of the galaxy, like if they're in elliptical orbits, just like you know halo stars or you know uh, uh, globular clusters or things like that a mua mua kind of like a buoy that was set out in a in a in a, in a stream or or a bay a mua mua was literally motionless in the galaxy relative to the sun's motion in orbit around the galaxy so it didn't approach us. We approached it like it was positioned waiting for us to come by and then for us to do its trip around the sun like someone dropped it like a buoy into no, the stream. No, now
1: You mean that's an incredible perspective because we're in this kind of chiral, chiral, going above and below the plane, and right now we're on our way upwards. Yep, yep. So no,
0: this was like it was sitting there waiting for us to encounter it which is another factor in the – it was designed by an intelligence for us to encounter at this time. So I'm thinking, yeah, we're okay – We're moving
1: through different space every single day, and yeah, every single yeah, year. We're yeah. not in the same part of the galaxy. We're in this – This yeah, we're there, – there's actually a study done in the fossil record. I read the whole study on extinction-level events. As we get higher uh-huh. above galactic plane – we get exposed to more radiation from galactic center because you don't have all the galactic dust you know protecting you. It's kind of like coming out of the sunglasses on the plane, and when we get to peak, what they've seen in the fossil record is very little survives here, but life survives, and then when we get back down into the there dust, are
0: cycles of extinction
1: right
3: and, what, of and, extinction. and and hang on
0: what 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 you're citing is the mainstream model because remember. That's all they've got to work with. So they're looking at things like supernova radiation, Serenkov radiation, uh, somehow coming out of the protective magnetic field of the spiral arm, we're in that kind of thing. I'm looking at a straight hyperdimensional physics where motion, rotation, and precession, and perturbations above and below a rotational plane modulate the very life force of organisms on a planet in a star system. So you get automatic hyperdimensional modulation of extinction and the appearance of new species like clockwork, like some kind of huge galactic mechanism
1: that can survive in the higher energy environment. Like when you look at, Okay, if you go to my item number two, which shows a, a flare camera, forward looking an in for ma- uh, infrared camera looking at a jet exhaust, you can see what they expected to see on a muamua. They expected to see a plume, right, and they didn't. Now, what's interesting about how the flare camera saw the Navy pilot UFOs in both the East Coast uh, gimbal case and also the, the West Coast um, Tic Tac case you don't see any exhaust at all, just like a muamua. Mua. They they share that in common. And, and if you look to item number three tonight on my page, you I went frame by frame through the the flare footage, and I can see this chiral spiral kind of structure in the UFO, which looks metallic but this thing doesn't look like anything you you think you're going to see at all. And then in two video frames out of the sequence of 30 frames per second, the UFO splits in two. In other words, it appears in two places at the same time and the next frame, it comes right back together again. It does this twice. And in one of my frames, I see nothing but waveforms. In fact, it looks like if I could blow item number three up really big, which I did in my computer screen. Well, click on it. Click on it. It's very large on the screen. Okay, so when you click on that, you go to the top row, third image, and all look inside of that image. Those are nothing but waveforms. that showed up in a single frame of video, and the UFO is gone. It's not there anymore. And, and this is going frame by frame. And, and this, I downloaded this from, from the U.S. government site when, for a window, they allowed the public access to this footage. All Look look really closely there. It's like looking in an editing bay at the chirps. I'm just looking at waveforms. That's mm. all I'm looking at. And you go, that was one frame. of. And now look, go to the bottom row and, and click on the image and blow it up. You'll see the crosshairs were locked on solid. So this this camera was not chasing this thing. It was locked on solid and you'll see one of the UFOs is in the lower crosshairs and I can actually see windows. I can see portals, I mean in that in that metallic structure, but the same UFO, it reminds me of the double slit experiment with photons and electrons, where if you t- put two slices in a piece of paper or cardboard, the same electron goes through both slits at the same time. And and it appears that the UFO so, is not the same thing. David, this is arguing that we're looking at a
0: higher dimensional projection. Not a not a light hologram, but a literal projection from a higher dimension into our three D dimension. And if you take video or data at a high enough rate, you can capture the fact that, you know, going back to the movie Forbidden Planet, which, again, um, Robert is one of my favorites, you know, it's being renewed microsecond to microsecond, and the framing is showing us the renewal process.
1: Right, so those frames are 30 frames a second. Now, note that the detail in in Jimmy Blanchett's camera of the UAPs, UFOs appearing in front of his antenna, are better than this actually, as far as seeing structure. But I had the opportunity to take this footage in the editing bay, and in one frame, all you see is waveforms. And the next frame, the UFO is there again. You're talking one frame out of a thirty out of thirty, right? One frame out of thirty. So. 30 frames per second. So in a second, there's 30 frames. That's pretty fast, right? So when you're looking at the top right image, that's all waveforms. What does that tell you? Because we know that an electron traveling in a waveform can go through two slits in the cardboard at the same time. So when you come to your, there's two frames at the bottom, center and right. Those two frames, if you look, You're going to see two UFOs, but there's not two UFOs. It's the same UFO because it only does this in one frame. It's there twice, the same UFO. Now that means reality that we perceive is not what it seems at all. It is not what it is. It is something more bizarre than we can possibly imagine because our brains, are producing when we're when we're in the, the beta part of the brain, we might be 30-something waves a second, right? You know why our brain likes 24 frames a second, which is film? Because when we're relaxed and we're awake, our brain is in sync with motion picture at 24 frames a second. But when you go to video at 29.97 frames per second – it irritates the brain just a little bit. The, the, the brain doesn't like to be sitting in a chair watching 30 frames a second. It likes 24. And you can feel it on your brain. If you're looking at video, it's a little more irritating to the brain than film because film is a tad slower. So we're only, in a way, the peaks of each brain wave is like a camera the peak is the amplitude which means most of the data you're getting is happening on the peaks of your brainwaves so in between those brainwaves there's missing data and and the camera kind of plays a similar role because the the, the next question is where you get phase which is where the peaks align are on a camera may sometimes line up different when where the peaks on the brain are. So, again, looking at frame by frame by frame, if you run your fingers across your eyes now, really close, you're going to see a strobe trail. And that little little strobe trail is telling you how slow your brain is processing image data. It's really slow. That's why you see those little staggered images behind your fingers when you run your hand right to left across your, your face. And you can, I've done that in sunlight and I've done that indoors where the lights are pulsing at 60, 60 beats a second because that's our electricity um, pulse rate in, in North America. But what I'm saying about the, this photography of the Navy pilot testimony is there's more data here that I did in the frame by frame analysis. Than, than we ever saw in the New York Times or any, anybody's analysis of this footage. There's nobody who's analyzed this footage. Well, wait, wait. Do, do you think the DoD just didn't do what you've done and know exactly what we're talking about? No, I about? don't think they. I don't think they did it at all. I don't think really? El Rondo did it. No, I don't think they're seeing the structure. I mean, God, they have higher resolution than we do. So if they did what I did and 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 what i'm looking at right now i mean i have a huge tv monitor so when you go now to my item number 4 gimbal which is what lieutenant ryan graves said optically he saw a cube in a sphere so when you look at item number 4 big and you, it initially looks like a saucer but when you take all of the of the flaring out of it in photoshop it's a square flat, with four notable nodes on the four corners, Mm -hmm. but again, this is FLIR, this is forward-looking infrared, and it's not seeing a lot of data. There's, um, um, it was Major Bob White who flew the X-15, going Mach 4, 5, and 6, by the way, in the X-15, which is just under 780 miles an hour, the speed of sound, So, so Mach 1 is the speed of sound, you know, Mach 5, Mach 6, Mach 4, 5, and 6, the X-15 was going. So the X-15 was actually going faster than the reported, when the New York Times reported the velocity of the UAPs, they said Mach 5. Well, these things are so fast, so far past Mach 5 because they were reported on radar dropping from above 80,000 feet to sea level in 0.78 seconds, and that's over 66,000 miles an hour. The 80,000 feet in, in one second is 15.15 miles per second. So do the math. But that's, it did it in 0.78 seconds. So you you got to add another, another uh, 22% to, to that equation. So what I'm saying
0: – I'll tell you is- what. We're at the top of the hour. We will have one more hour to go through all this. We're going to go through the remarkable video. That Jimmy captured this afternoon at the antenna we're going to talk to Keith about what he saw this evening because he's in remote control of the antenna system this evening we're bringing Andrew on who has a video that can uh, has now looked at and she says we've got to see it so we will do that and David and I are going to talk about why as part of our transmission tonight we sent a detailed sequence on the Washington Monument and will tell you what it is that I want them out there, whoever they are, that I want them to do. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Do not touch that dial. We shall return.
7: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode, $0.02 and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: back everyone on this Saturday night now Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment we've been joined by Andrew Curry who is kind of a co-author or co-investigator or co-instigator with me on the we're stuck in a phantom zone question Andrew you've been listening although you've been working and I'm kind of intrigued with what are your thoughts so far
9: hi Richard hi everybody Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to say one thing, Richard, right off the bat in terms of bears. So, um, back in November, on November the 7th, there was a sighting in International Falls, Minnesota of what wildlife officials are calling the biggest bear they've ever seen. And it weighed in at 350 kilograms, or I believe that is about 775 pounds, um, I, I have a feeling it was a black bear, but it was a monstrous thing. So it's just on the theme of bears, <laughs> it's been sort of dotting the landscape. Yeah, I don't know if that means anything, but there you go, resonance. So Richard, when I first heard, I believe the pulsing of the message that was received from Amuamua. Right. I I, I was um I well immediately I, I I was how do I put this I found it very um. Haunting. And then I went, I've heard this before. <laughs> and then I was thinking of Arrival, and then I had to index back for further in terms of movies, The Arrival. And I'd like to swing back to that without giving the plot line away to you, Richard. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but Contact, the movie Contact. Ah. And the video, or well, for the listeners, it would be audio. But this, the uh, it's it's a three-minute um, piece. You don't have to listen to the whole thing; just the first part. So Jodie Foster is the uh, well, Richard, do you want to describe Contact? You're better than I would be. So the movie. No, no, no. This is your segment. Go for it. Okay. All right. Well, Jodie Foster plays the astronomer who is trying to, um, you know, find signals from this. I guess it's the SETI project, and. She's sitting with headphones on near the satellite array. This is the video, and suddenly she gets the signal. And it's well, I mean, if you if you play like about a minute of it, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. If if you want to do that now or later or whatever, but um, I I don't know if that has any meaning. If there's a correspondence here at all, I mean, I mean that was a movie, but we know in that movie that signal. Well, it was
0: a movie based on a novel by Carl Sagan. That's what we know was a double or triple or quadruple agent that knew so much more than he was able to reveal when he started revealing things. Suddenly he died of an incredibly galloping cancer. So I look at all these films as kind of, you know, Emily Dickinson codes where they're not fiction. They're just veiled information for the in crowd that per Roddenberry's rule will only believe it if they see it on the big screen or on television or on Facebook. In other words, it's got to be in media before they will trust their own briefings.
9: Yeah. And in that signal was packed a lot of different things, but encoded deeply within it were instructions to build a hyperdimensional stargate for all. Mm-hmm.
3: Purposes.
9: And, you know, as I've been listening and frantically trying to hit a deadline <laughs> <laughs> in the back channels, work-wise, it is, one of you spoke up about, well, you know, in terms of the phantom zone, if you're trying to sort of penetrate a barrier, you, you, there has to be a communic you know, there has to be a signal of communication. And I almost get the sense that through all of this, are we being instructed in how to speak a new language or potentially an old language? And that we just haven't been able to either slow it down enough or decipher it well enough. To figure it out, look, as you guys were talking for the last two hours, I'm frantically drawing, and here's where I wanted to come back to the arrival without giving too much away, but it was pictograms that were the key, it was drawings, it was art that was the key to translation in that particular film, um, or one, that was one of the keys, um, to unlock what needed to be done to avert you know, the, the dramatic conclusion type thing. So I, I'm wondering through all of this, Richard, if it's not just a, a, hey, who's out there, but literally to try to teach us a, lang- you know, a language that's either, you know, well, maybe like you say, we're teaching ourselves. Um, I mean, look at all of our ancient structures uh, or the ancient structures on this planet alone. I mean, the, you know, encoded in so many of these ancient monuments are redundant numbers and equations. And, you know, seeming mathematics that correspond to, you know, measurements between, you know, our planet to the sun and and the diameter to the moon to compare to the earth. And, and, you know, we see that a lot in the, uh, well, Ron could speak to this better than me, but in the uh, Mesoamerican uh, pyramids, you know, the call, the turns and corners and edges. So it's like we, we had to find a way to encode a language, a deeper language in all of our Ancient structures to to reteach into the future, and I I believe it's also you know in in the art and um, you know potentially in the music and in, even in the stories, even in the ancient dances, you know like if you look at the Thai or Hindu dances. So th- somebody's trying to communicate us with us through time, Richard. In my opinion, and I and I think you're you're touching on that tonight in a in a massive way. Now, what that communication is about. And who exactly is communicating? I guess those are the two biggest questions, well, for me, at least. Mm
0: -hmm. Undoubtedly. David, Uh let's go back to what happened this afternoon when uh, Jimmy set up the antenna and he started transmitting. And that's number eight. Conti has posted it as number eight in your items. David?
3: I'm (laughs) here.
1: Yeah, I'm here. Oh, Sorry if my mic was muted. Uh Uh-oh. So number eight – yeah, that in this video looks again, I wanna get the original from Jimmy. When he zooms in on the UFO, it's actually moving by the view of his antenna and he's he's transmitting um, I believe to a Mualua and again the odds of something like this showing up are, you know, billions against it in a clear blue sky. It's not an airplane. It seems to have three points of light, so it could be a triangular-shaped UFO. There's data there. It, again, it's better. his camera is better than the FLIR photography that the Navy released to the world because they didn't give us the, the high-res version of that photography. So there's better data that they have. Well, if uh, you,
0: if you yeah. roll down to the end of the video clip, to
1: me, it clearly looks like a double tetrahedron. Yeah, definitely could be a double tetrahedron, absolutely. Which, of course, is
0: the core of hyperdimensional physics.
1: Exactly, and that – that when, when you take a spiraling vortex, like a funnel of water spinning, and you fit it into two dimensions, it's a triangle, which is, yep. again, the basis of a tetrahedron. So the other thing about – pyramidal shapes is their wave compressors, their signal wave compressors. So when electronic signal moves through a pyramid from the base to the apex, the signal compresses, which is, again, time dilation. When you compare the bottom of the signal at the bottom of the pyramid's wavelength to the apex, you have, you have wave compression and, and, and you have signal time dilation. But I want to bring up kind of more menacing point number five here because it it does show an event that I actually received communication. If you go to item number five, the Space Shuttle Columbia was hit by an incoming what's known as the ignorosphere, which is the mesosphere. And the the ignorosphere or mesosphere is is a place – that is the most unstudied part of our atmosphere, actually on the Columbia mission was a scientist who brought gear up with him to study that part of the atmosphere. So when this Well you might shuttle, you might describe why
0: it's the least studied.
1: Well it's the least studied because they have phenomena that occur up there. I'm gonna read you something. This 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 is part of the investigation into the Space Shuttle Columbia when they tried to blame it on a sprite or lightning strike, which it wasn't, clearly wasn't to anybody who has intelligence, I did a whole report myself because the space shuttle astronaut Tammy Jernigan confiscated a tourist photographs that he took with a, a manual shutter using his finger on a tripod. He took, and again, if you click on... Item number five, and make it really big, you'll see Peter Goldie's photographs showing the space shuttle, which is a street going left to right, and then you'll see this corkscrewing thing coming down from above, and the shuttle's going 18,500 miles an hour approximately.
0: seventeen thousand. So again,
1: it's going as fast as Minuteman, which is – there's nothing faster than this in our atmosphere. But this is, again, you're at the border of the mesosphere, right? <clears throat> so it turns – and it's at 90 degrees and it core and and as if it tried to hit the shuttle and missed it and then it it suddenly accelerates to my calculations are over 40,000 miles an hour because you just do a simple um, picture overlay and do a ratio calculation because we know how fast the shuttle is streaking by and it hits the Columbia now you cannot take two or three even or definitely not three or two images of the same lightning strike using a manual shutter in fact on video at 30 frames a second which i've done because i did a my own investigation into the columbia i could only get two frames out of 30 of the same lightning strike and that's it and and lightning doesn't strike at the speed of light it's not instantaneous and it, but yet it's too fast to be whatever this incoming corkscrewing thing is coming from the, from the mesosphere and hitting the Columbia. Now, I received emails from an MIT alumni sh- saying that the, Sheila Widnall, the Secretary of the Air Force, wanted to see my report on the Columbia showing Peter Goldie's tourist photos that were, that were locked by Tammy Jernigan, and she wouldn't show them. She wouldn't show the Air Force. And on this email list was Hanscom Air Force Base, NASA, Sheila Widnell, Secretary of the Air Force, and they wanted to see my report. So I sent them my report, which showed the velocity of all of our missiles compared to the incoming that hit the Columbia. And the incoming that hit the Columbia was way too slow to be a lightning strike because that's over – the lightning strikes are over 200,000 miles an hour. And the, the, the analysis showed that whatever hit Columbia was some kind of a weapon coming out of the mesosphere. So what, what MIT did is sent me their own photos from the Johnson Space Center of the same strike. And you see the lower part of the image is, is one of their images they sent me, which shows three UFOs ahead of Columbia's trajectory. Now, I happen to have interviewed a personal eyewitness whom, with binoculars, his name is George Moseman, actually saw, when the, after the Columbia was hit, he saw two UFOs through his vice binoculars, one being the purple color, and you see my three arrows going to the three UFOs, one of those is purple, and he said they were lenticular, lens-shaped saucers, that were ahead of the Columbia, and he was looking at him through his vice binoculars in his lawyer's office in Texas when the shuttle was coming down. Now, this particular document I'm going to read says 10 years ago, Walter Lyons, a consultant for FMA research in Fort Collins, Colorado, conducted a study of sprite danger for NASA, sprite being mega lightning. We concluded there is about a one in a hundred chance that a shuttle could fly through a sprite. What impact, we don't know for certain. It didn't appear at this time that the energy... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. on. You've lost me, and you've lost a lot of other people. What is a sprite? A sprite is is a lightning strike, supposedly, that comes from the upper atmosphere region. Now, the problem with sprites and all lightning is they have tentacles, tons of tentacles, like tree branches. You'll notice the incoming. No, wait, wait. You're, you're,
0: you're still, you know, the... David. Simple, okay, simple, yeah. simple. Thunderstorms are like 3,000 thunderstorms all over the earth simultaneously. Right. Thunderstorms occur like 50, 60,000 feet tops.
1: Oh, when they're,
0: they're way hard. When, when there are when there are discharges, they go sideways, down and up, and the sprite yeah. phenomenon is electrostatic acceleration of something up into space that looks it can be different colors red is one of the predominant colors it's been photographed now from the space station sideways you know so you can see in projection on the limb but there's incredible high energy voltage going from thunderstorms at very high altitudes further higher into space into this region called the mesosphere
1: go ahead okay so what walter lyon says in this study on the columbia is there are things up there that we probably don't know about lion said every time we look in that part of the atmosphere we find something totally new lack of research funding but the field is dominated by a small club of electrophysicists he determined that it was not a sprite that hit the columbia He said this was not a sprite event, meaning it was not an electrical discharge because electrical discharges move so fast. Remember, a photographer can't sit there with a Nikon Coolpix camera, which is what Peter Goldie had, pressing his finger about once per second to take consecutive photos of the incoming. And lightning strikes don't linger either. They always have multiple tree branch tentacles, and this incoming doesn't. So what, what Walter Lyons said in his, his report is that there are, he says literally, there are, there are things up there that are going on in the ignorosphere, and it's a place that has, needs more research from. So one of the astronauts on the Columbia had equipment to do research in that part of our atmosphere. And again, if you if you study the altitude, was this of, the Israeli
0: uh, astronaut?
1: That's right, it was him.
0: Well, that that's him. crucial to mention.
1: I know because this is a huge story, and it actually is. I have so much data on this story because I I can show you the emails. Well, let's got tell you what,
0: well, Let us devote an entire program to this problem. How does it relate to transmitting to and from a mula
1: Mule tonight? It, it relates to. What we're talking about in the UAPs, because because our, our our psychic channeler tonight, who was talking about ETs, talked about a possible threat.
0: You mean there may be good guys, bad guys, indifferent guys, right. and there they, may be a war
1: going on, and we're kind of they're, in the middle. They're, exactly. That's why I brought this up. And also, if you if you look at the 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 full data in this case and again we should do a whole show on this because I have it right down to you know dotting every single point in this case and every single argument. The American public was totally whitewashed. You cannot take three five pictures Peter Goldie took of the same lightning strike and and get it in motion, accelerating and accelerating as if the thing was going that slow. Lightning strikes whether sprite or more earth-based lightning appear instantaneously. In fact, you can't get one. If you go on a storm, get <laughs> your camera, and start pushing your shutter and try to get a lightning strike. That's not how you get lightning strikes. You leave the shutter open for five minutes at a time and to get one good strike because the odds of you pointing your camera in the right direction are, are, are pretty low. So what Peter Goldie got was buried by Tammy Jernigan, the space shuttle astronaut. His camera was confiscated, taken to the Lawrence Livermore, where they determined the incoming was an artifact of his camera, she told the San Francisco Chronicle. And then why, then, was the Air Force asking me for copies of Peter Goldie's photos? Because I have them. Because she wouldn't give them to them. <laughs> That's outrageous. So, again, <clears throat> we go... And you see the coincidences of these events and the UFO phenomenon. And there is, there is a chance also, because I know this in studying the military, the U.S. Department of Defense has classified payloads on space shuttle missions. I'm worried what was on Columbia was a weapons system to do tests in that in what's called the mesosphere and and that again is, we don't have satellites in the mesosphere because it's too low right it, it's not
0: yeah it's um, too low for spacecraft and too high for aircraft so that's why right. it was called kind of in slang the ignorosphere which is not, a, a, not a real name off,
1: i mean It starts – it goes between about 30 and 50 miles above the Earth. So, man, your satellites are way out there. They're 20,000 miles away from the Earth, most of them. They're way, 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 way out there. So what interests me about Mesosphere is there is a lot of UFO activity coming from there. And our our UAPs that appear in front of the antenna that Jimmy's capturing – it's very easy for them to move from that region to being in front of the lens very, very quickly. Because remember, let's go back to the the TIC-TAC, for example. The TIC-TAC radar data says it it came from above 80,000 feet to sea level in 0.78 seconds. And one report says it came from above 80,000 feet to 20,000 feet in 0.78 seconds, which is still... Over 40,000 miles an hour, right, which is so faster than anything on Earth, because nobody can go 40,000 miles anywhere. Nobody can touch that. Our fighter jets can barely do 2,500 miles an hour. So when you're talking 40,000 miles an hour, forget about it being the Chinese is what I'm saying. So, again... We know that their radar can see easily 200 miles. So when they're saying they came from above 80,000 feet to 20,000 feet in 0.78 seconds, we don't know how high above Mm. 80,000 feet they're talking about. But we know that they're looking in the region of the mesosphere.
0: Okay, let's 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 let's, uh, let's focus back on the Moamoa because I do think we need to, you know, relegate the Columbia. Conversation to a whole night by itself. Yeah, and it Andrew. Andrew, you. Um, uh, well, I'll tell you what. We we we've seen the daytime, afternoon UFO that appeared over the antenna that Jimmy captured before he had to disappear, and Keith was in charge.
1: So we had daytime and nighttime confirmation of what.
0: Yeah. Now now Keith
1: nighttime. was riding the antenna
0: tonight by remote control, and sometime before airtime, I'm getting ready, and he calls me up. And he's all excited. He says, you won't believe what I saw. So, Keith, you have the world to talk to now. What did you see over the antenna tonight?
4: Well, I had been watching the antenna. um, And normally you see the stars and you see a black sky. And there's an airport around there and you can see the the flight path of planes. And usually the um, navigation lights are blinking there were some lights that came into the frame that weren't blinking, and they were making some erratic moves. Uh, they were getting really close to one another. One passed under another one. And uh, they were all taking place in front of the antenna. Uh, I can I can tell which ones are planes now because I've been watching it long enough to see which ones are actually doing the navigation, the angles that they uh, climb at and uh, descend at. But, uh, these weren't doing normal activity and there was a whole bunch of them and it just kind of blew me away what was going on. I don't know if, uh, we were transmitting a signal at that moment, but it just like these things just came on the screen at the one time and they were just popping in and moving and all happening at one time.
1: Well, Jimmy said he was running camera tonight. Um, we'd have to get him to go through the footage at some point or send the footage to me to go through.
0: Well, Keith can also, oh, Keith also has access to it. He just has oh, good. time to look at it. Now, the question I have for you, David, is how are we recording the chirps from tonight?
1: Well, I, I didn't do any chirp recording tonight because I'm waiting to get my super high-res microphone. So that um, – I mean my microphone ah! – the one I had... I'm glad that's not the matter. only reaction I, I just had. David, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah, because my TASCAM is broken. So it, it doesn't... I don't want to record it on my iPhone again. I want to record it on my $1,000 Newman microphone that I'm talking through right now. So my my recorder <clears throat> that I thought still worked doesn't work. Hmm. So I, got, I bought a new one, which I, I told you about. I'm waiting for it to show up here. And then I can do it. Don't worry, we can do this any time. We've done this so many times that, that I, I'm fully confident. Well, See,
0: you were. Uh, I'm sorry, but Ron, would you say something, please? Because I'm trying to control myself yes. right now.
8: Okay. Uh, actually, there's a thought I wanted to insert. Aside from the groan, <laughs> um, yeah, you've got to be on top of this, David. Because if you're going to do it, because if they think they've got, if someone thinks they've got your attention. Then page Tuesday is not necessarily going to be the same well, no, as page can. I
1: can go. Last time I went. after. can you
0: the turn show. the damn radio on right now on the air?
1: Oh, I don't. I don't have them in here. They're they're in the house, but they. I can go in and get them. You want me to go get? Yes, them and come
6: please.
1: By? It'll take me like three minutes.
8: Fine,
0: like fine. We can we can easily fill. Okay. Ron, please continue. Okay.
8: Uh, okay, actually, that's a good time for me to insert something which I think is very relevant. Uh, if you're on a merry-go-round and somebody speeds it up so it's going like 80 miles an hour, you're going to have a lot of different, a lot of trouble stepping off of it, right? Yep, that's one would think. Well, different dimensions, however you want to define them whatever whatever combination of mathematics and inspiration we come up with you still get the idea that they are not all in time sync you know and everybody should be familiar with this from everything even through the marvel movies uh the uh so if you have the capability of simply dropping from one time frame to another so to speak one dimension to another dimensional hopping then then Oh what a great time for Ron's communication to
0: cut out.
6: Yeah, Ron's phone went out.
0: Hey boys and girls, this is the where, you know, you get into live radio. And actually we're at the bottom of the hour, so we're gonna take a break. My guests this morning are David Sarita and Robert Morningstar and Ron Gerbron and Andrew Curry's with us and Keith is about to describe in more detail what he saw and everything is recorded except I'm, I'm not quite sure now about chirps. You know, I mean, uh, I, I'm almost speechless and I'm, I am rarely speechless. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall
5: return.
0: And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour on this Saturday night, Sunday morning. Tomorrow night, we're going to rebroadcast the um, uh, December 4th session where we transmitted and we heard and we captured lots and lots and lots of chirps and return signals. See, one of the things I thought tonight might happen is because we changed the message. And Dave and I are going to talk about what we encoded tonight in the message that I think is really relevant to what's going on on planet Earth right now, I expect that we would get a whole potential different pattern of response. And even if we can't get high-fidelity recording, you know, as my grandmother always said, you know, the best is the enemy of the good, we should be recording anything we get. Anything we get. And apparently... Uh, We were not, so let me... I'm back, by the way, if anybody can hear me. Oh, there you are. Okay.
1: Can you hear me? See, they're
0: chattering away like monkeys. I knew this would happen.
1: They're chattering like monkeys. This is more aggressive than last time.
0: Because we sent a much more complete message. So let's all shut up and just let this thing record for about a minute. Okay? they used to say science is nothing if it's not prediction, and the very fact that...
1: Well, see, that's exactly what Marconi and Tesla said. They thought it was Morse code, but when they did the Morse code, it didn't add up to anything. So, And Jimmy and I have already tested it. It's not Morse code. I was just holding up my frequency meter to see what frequencies were being detected. And there's so many different numbers happening so fast in the church. Mm -hmm. So they're not all the same numbers repeating at all. No,
0: no. You you can hear audibly that not only are they different than last week, which I expected, and thank goodness. Way
1: more aggressive. Way more aggressive. And
0: it's the aggression which tells me they're really excited. And that implies that on the ANZAR model that somebody's trying to warn us of something, they're urgently trying to warn us of something the urgency you know just let let us hear it again for about another 30
1: seconds well before I turn that radio on again my other radio is tuned to 432 and when I was when I was outside I was getting stuff at 432 as well but that's not happening as often so because Jimmy is transmitted both at 432 and one, so the chirping radio it's really aggressive is one i I'm going to turn it on again Oh, yes, yeah.
8: okay, I
0: think we've got enough to do some kind of data analysis,
3: obviously, obviously, next week, David
6: a question. I want to ask David a question. I want to go back for us just for a second to Mintaka. And the frequency that you measured at Mintaka, you said that it was not quite 432. Could it be 431.27717 or something Oh, close?
1: very close to that number. It's. Let me go back to my chart because I have it in front of me. So let me go back to Mintaka here. I mean, almost like I said, the Pleiades. I mean, I've done. Oh my God, almost any star you can think of, I probably already done this, calculated all the tones of her. So Orion's Belt, talk I have. And then I have Alnilam in Orion's Belt. And then Mintaka. Mintaka's tone, when I get to the audible octaves, and these are golden ratio octaves, I'm just smidgen away from 431. Now, again, no other star... Will produce that number. I'll, I'll miss it by at least twenty or thirty beats. So, because I've looked at again thousands of numbers among all the stars that that are known in our local region here. So the fact that I'm so close to four thirty two on Montaka is remarkable.
6: Yeah, but I asked you about four thirty one point two seven seven one seven. How close is that to the number you said? It's not quite. Okay, close.
1: so I'll tell you the percentage. Because the number I have is like 16 decimals.
6: So what I'm going to do is have
1: you read out the number to me on my calculator. Yeah,
6: just the first few decimals that I said.
1: Are you ready? Hang on a second. Edit. I'm going to paste my number. Okay. uh,
6: Divided by what's your number? 430?
1: 431.27717. So that is accurate to 99.926%. (laughs)
6: to Mintaka. Yeah. Do you you know where I got that number? I told you once. I told you once before we had an interview about two years ago, and I told you that I derived from Einstein's equation the true values for the square root of one, and it's not one and negative one. So I gave you one of the numbers. This is great. This is wonderful.
1: So, again, that would only appear in Mintaka, Robert. So, again –
6: now here's the thing. I've been looking for a star that was broadcasting a frequency of precisely that number. And you. Well, found- we can
1: broadcast to Mintaka anytime you want because I I can generate eight tones, eight octaves of Mintaka, and generate those tones, and we can do it live anytime if that oh, star. That's works.
6: wonderful, wonderful. I just want to explain to folks. David and I have converged on a universal value independently. I didn't do this through radio. I did it through algebra. And that's a whole story that needs to be told soon. I've been keeping it secret for a long time.
0: Oh, <clears throat> my God. We're, we're exhilarating. Right uh, Gentlemen, gentlemen,
6: yeah.
0: I hate to say, but we're still on the air. Why don't we do this as a whole program and start with beginning, middle, and end? Because stories need beginning, middle, and end. Um, yeah is there a way you can record without on the air and us, our, our voices interfering with what's coming in from the radio and Oumuamua right now? Cause I have a feeling that thing's going to chatter all night. And well, we should what be... I
1: have to do is when we get off the show, cause it has to be perfectly quiet. So I don't get any sounds, not even the last time I did it, my kids were asleep. It was, perfectly silent and i recorded it for two minutes at a time
8: david excuse me but don't you have a, a socket and a patch cord
1: no what, what i what i you just recording did, it off
8: the speakers on the radio you're going to no, lose no, all that fidelity you're trying to say
1: no what i just did when you heard it i held the radio up to my thousand dollar newman and it's going well i understand
8: to- all of that but can't you hook it directly plug it into the recorder why not I don't know how to do that, but that would be interesting to figure that out.
0: Keith, I think he needs some help <laughs> off the air.
1: All right, let me, let, me, let, me, let me go back substantively
0: because we have a lot of players and not very little time. We've got about 20 minutes left. Tell everybody, David, why I wanted to send the data and the
1: request on the
0: Washington Monument tonight.
1: Well, first of all, the Washington Monument, as a monopole antenna or a dipole antenna, because a dipole and a monopole are only one octave apart, it it produces a very high A note. And then when I come down octaves, to come down, when you calculate a frequency for a monopole, if you want to come down in octaves, you just divide your frequency by two. And I only had to do that about 10 times to come to 432.33 hertz. So that meant the Washington Monument is, is a 432-octave tuner, for one. And second, the moment it was being completed, all the greatest inventions in the history of the world were being born within a certain radius of the monument, transmitting those 432 octaves into the northern you know, Atlantic part of the United States. And that included Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison... And the the birth of radio, the birth of electricity, the birth of the light bulb, the birth of every invention in the history of the world actually was born the moment that thing went up. So therefore, it it acted as a harmonizer and a portal into consciousness that caused. No no
0: no 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 no, no. pale face. It acted as no, an no, I'm not as, as an, an amplifier.
1: An- of
0: consciousness it connected people more directly to their higher selves through this physics
1: right and then you said it got damaged in there- 2011
0: there was an earthquake yeah. and from right. 2011 to twenty four Marshall Monument was supposedly repaired my theory of the case is that that window was used to basically install equipment that basically produces a counter wave, you know, uh, destructive interference. It's called in physics. Yep. That basically killed, it squelched the in- consciousness-enhancing properties on the nation, on the United States of America and Canada and Mexico, because we're all on the same craton, the North American craton. That basically killed it and. Our societies have been going to hell in a handbasket ever since. So tonight
3: what we could do so
0: hang on, let me finish. So tonight what I asked David to do was to send our friends out there, because I think there are friends. I think there's enough data that there are friends. I asked them to undo whatever was done to the monument so it functions again as it was designed to function and then we'll see in the global events of the next few days and weeks and months, if there is a significant change in consciousness, if in fact it's restored to its original hyper-dimensional function. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of suppositions in all of that, but again, science is nothing if it's not prediction. You can simply look at the mainstream and see if there are reflections in daily events, in geopolitical events, in political events, in, in medical events, in everything that everybody is tracking, if I'm correct and these guys can intervene in a very quiet, you know, prime directive kind of way to simply take out the instrumentation that was put in there during the repair in 2014 and make it work again, we should see major effects in the not too distant future, positive
1: effects. Because that's why it was. That's why Washington had the vision on the battlefield with the angel. And there's a the whole story of his vision on the battlefield. I mean, that's an incredible story in itself. That led to the birth of the monument as as a monopole transmitter and activator to to consciousness. That made America the leading country in the world. Nikola Tesla came to America and then he created all of his inventions. It didn't happen in Yugoslavia. He didn't have all these inventions in Yugoslavia and brought them to America. When he came here, it, it just, everything happened. Everything happened when that monument was going up, and I, I have a chart, a, a graph, you know, it's on my website at davidstradio.co, Washington, and you can see the graph of every invention in that the changed the entire world, including the transistor at Bell Labs. Bell Labs is... It's all right there within the radius of the monument that everything happened. It didn't happen anywhere else on the planet first. It happened there first, and then the patents were distributed across the globe, and then other other people started having ripple effect, after effect epiphanies to these massive new breakthroughs that occurred as the monument was being erected in the years following it. But I think you're right, Richard. It was damaged. And one of the ways you can tell is if you stand one wavelength from the monument, which is a smidgen under 2,222 feet, because if you take the height of the monument, which is 555 feet, 5.125 inches, then the, the wavelength of a monopole is four times the height. So that's almost exactly 2,222 feet. It's just a smidgen under that. So that's where if you stand there and take your measurements, you, you may see chaos. You, you may see that exactly what Richard is saying has happened. Somebody has hijacked the monument, and that would cause a massive declining consciousness for the, the And person. if
0: someone can repair it by remote control by simply taking out the instrumentation that was installed, I believe, to produce a counterwave. It will go back to its original function, and we should see that visibly in events all over the North American continent in the next few days and weeks and maybe months. It may take some time to catch up because, remember, we're looking at time lags between dimensions.
1: Oh, yeah, and we should be able to see the the chaos from from – all they have to do is actually plug in – a transmitter and attach it to the side of the monument because it's a steel frame building, which is connected to earth ground, which is what's powering it. The Schumann resonance is powering it through the earth ground. But the the point is all you have to do is put the wrong frequency and attach it to the steel frame and you can warp its frequency. You can just mess it right up. And and all that takes is, is for somebody who's really smart to go in there and, and attach a device to it that, that would offset its vibration.
0: Well, they had two years to figure out if they didn't know what, what they were doing, what they needed to do. Okay, now, turn, turn on the receiver again.
1: Okay, let's turn on.
0: I want to hear the chirps.
1: 432 is on. It's not doing anything. Let's see. See, someone is trying to send us
0: an urgent, urgent set of messages. So after we get off the air, you need to record these all night. Get a really long string because I don't yeah, think they're, they're not redundant.
3: Stop
1: for quite a while. I mean, I find these, these chirps can last twenty minutes and then stop. Sometimes they'll last. They'll repeat themselves again, just like Jimmy has repeated the transmission to a muamua several times with space. Yeah, that's between. what you want
0: to do. You want redundancy.
1: Yeah, and that's what they're probably doing. They're probably sending back redundancy. But I just
0: hear an urgency. It's like we sent the right request. If you're standing off planet and you're looking at what's going on, and we're going to hell in a handbasket, and you know what's wrong, but for some reason you can't tell us what's wrong, we have to be the ones to figure out what's wrong, and then they can quietly intervene to do one little change to stop that circuitry from functioning so the monument Performs what it's supposed to do, and things will change. That's the model.
1: Remember the UFO sighting over the what was what was called the Capitol sighting in um,
0: 1952, July
1: 1952. That's after, of course, it's after the monument, but it's it's interesting to me that it was there, and I actually took the inner dome. Of the capital, you take the speed of light divided by the inner dome circumference of the capital, and it's so so close to 3.14159 megahertz, pi. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And it's amazing that whoever designed it, I doubt they cognitively knew that, but they were being guided to to make the capital in a harmonic of pi in megahertz. I mean, that's the wavelength.
0: Yeah, but you're discounting the idea that this sacred, secret knowledge has been secret because if it was public, it would be destroyed. So the only way these societies could maintain it for, for for you know future generations was to keep it as a secret and only apply it when it was appropriate.
1: Right, exactly. And the other thing that blew my mind is when I was – looking at the measurement of the capital, the rectangular part of the capital. I was so close to 432 royal cubits, (laughs) and I'm using – it was so close, and I can't get an accurate number on that building. Like I went online, and and nobody's measured it perfectly, Hmm. and the inner dimension is what matters the most because the inner resonance is what matters the most, and I'm so close to 432. Is this
0: in a public area?
1: So no, this is the, you know, the main part of the cap- – so you have the dome of the Capitol, and then you have the complete Capitol complex building, which is a rectangle. Right. Okay. So its long side is very close to 432 royal cubits. And the, the, the royal cubit that resolves – in Peter Lamessure's book, <coughs> four, 20.601 inches. Times 280 cubits is the finished height of the Great Pyramid to perfection. Yeah. David, also, we, don't, we, don't,
0: we don't have a lot of time, so let me cut to the chase. Can yeah. you simply go yeah. there and measure it
1: yourself? I can't go there because I'm in Canada. I can't cross the border. So Well, at some
0: point, you'll be able to.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but you, you, if you go out there with a Leica laser, like even a Leica laser is going to trigger security. That building is so hypersensitive right now, and I need the inner Dimension. I'm so close to it with the data I can get online. I would actually need to call them up. Somebody needs to call them up and say, "I want to know." Why don't you just
0: Why don't you just call the Capitol Architect? It can't be secret.
3: It's not classified.
1: That that building was designed ages ago. It's just like the Mills is one of the final architects of the of the um, of the of the Washington.
0: But they have an office now called the Capitol Architect's Office. So. Anyway, we, Mills we, was
8: the first builder.
0: Yeah, we yeah. we don't have a lot of time, so I want to do this. We've got we got three other participants tonight, Ron yeah, and I Robert. I want to say
8: one thing about the monument, the Washington Monument, because I just che- I just checked on it. Guess what? Guess what? Compromises it or comprises its foundation. It's an 80 foot square blue gneiss. Nice. that's like you know granite. Uh, pyramid a step pyramid is underground right underneath it
0: (laughs) isn't that special okay i I wanted everybody to have a chance in the last eight minutes for the show to kind of respond to what we've talked about bring up something answer something ask david a question about something andrew
9: yeah david that chirping you were playing um do you find it really like a real dis, like it it really disrupts your body. I found it when I'm listening to it, it's really bothering me. Is that is that the quality? That's of what I
1: was- said. Like like video at at uh, 30 frames a second irritates the brain. It's too fast. It likes 24 frames. It, it, that's that's why we like watching movies at 24 frames. This chirping is so fast, and there's so much data. It's really intense on the on the brain. But when you slow it down, um it, it's it's you can handle its beat right you can handle i find dolphin chirping to be too fast for my thought process like did it it. you know dolphins chirp really fast and but um i've gotten used to it 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 doesn't really bother me anymore the radio chirping i can listen to it
9: i actually was listening to it the other night interesting because i was finding it's not only bothering my my ears and my head but my sort of upper chest was getting annoyed. <laughs> it was just very disruptive. Honestly. Well, it
1: seems like Richard said if you heard us last week, the chirps were really much calmer. It's and that's yeah. more evidence that that it's not always in the same mood, right? Like, it's just like mm-hmm. a person. You know, you might talk really slow and relaxed. You might sing a song. You might get up in the morning and sing to yourself. But this chirping seems really urgent tonight. It's it's going like a rabbit. You
0: know? Which is exactly what I would expect if we've hit on something that's critical and somebody wants to basically say
1: yes guys, keep going.
0: So we need to record from all through the night after we get it off the It seems air.
1: really excited and there's, again, there's there's a lot of personality in it. You can almost sense the personality. Yeah. You know. Okay, okay.
0: A lot of, not a lot of time. I'm going to be rude. Robert?
6: Yes, uh, I would like to uh, mention something that we discussed this afternoon. I want to give you the shortest synopsis possible of a document that I have in front of me called "Estimate of assessment of the situation, the official position on unidentified flying object, which was the report to project sign. But uh, wrapping it up in a nutshell. After the, yeah. after the Roswell crash, one of the ETs survived and was debriefed for two years, held as a diplomatic guest while he was being debriefed. And they asked him why they came here. And the story that the alien gave to the telepath who was in communication was that many years before, an Earth scientist had sent out a signal with a very powerful pulse that traveled faster than the speed of light. And when it arrived at their planet, it disrupted the weather, the ecosystem, and their gravitational field, and they wanted to find out who was where it was coming from. They pinpointed Earth, sent a signal asking them to shut down the signal because it was disrupting their world, but the receiver was not able to interpret the code, and so they had to come here personally, which is why they claimed to have come to Earth, and the scientist who sent that signal was Nikola Tesla, and he did it twice. Once was in Colorado when he had that gigantic uh, tower built that so disrupted the the uh, region that uh, the populace had him shut down. The other one was uh, the uh, tower in, in Long Island. So they said that it was in the 1920s, so I believe it was in The Wardenclyffe Tower was uh, beaming and doing experiments. So the United States government frowned upon that and designated anyone who worked outside academia or the U.S. government to be outlaw scientists. So they had labeled uh, Nikola Tesla an outlaw scientist for the, the conduction of his experiments as an independent scientist. that's all i wanted to uh, but i think
1: you made a good point i i've had the same theory that tesla would have signaled et's first because he created the first radio waves and radio signals that would have left our planet and some of them were faster than light speed according to tesla's own data so he would have been the first one to signal et's and
0: well given uh, given uh, we don't have a lot of time given that he was working with extremely high voltage and high frequencies he obviously was manipulating the torsion field, which is what you're picking up. You're not picking up radio. You're picking up modulated torsion field manipulation of the speakers in these radios. And Tesla did it inadvertently, and I can see why there could be bounces and resonances and somebody could be very disturbed if a bunch of primitives suddenly came up with the equivalent of nuclear weapons and had no idea that they'd done it. I want to say one last He's
8: thing. using current. That's it. It's okay. People talk about alternating current, but he had a three We have
0: minutes. one minute left. I need to say this. Everything we're doing tonight, everybody, costs money. We need you to donate to the other side of midnight. The donate button is over on the left on the main page, the home page. Whatever you can afford, now is the time we need equipment. We need experts. We need signal processing. We need computers. We need all kinds of gear to and lay out for the mainstream to get what we're communicating with because in terms of the government their plan with this new office set up under the dod their plan is not to let anybody know at all they will simply submit classified reports to congress and we may never hear the real story so if you want to keep this going We need a little help, and you're all over the world, and I think you're going to step up to the plate and make this happen because, frankly, it's going to be citizen scientists, not the government, that's going to tell you the truth, and you can play a huge role in making that happen. So tomorrow night, we're going to rebroadcast our December 4th very historic Oumuamua transmissions. Next weekend, next Saturday, which will be, I think, the 18th or the 17th. I don't have it in front of me. We're going to do this all again, and gosh knows what's going to happen in the intervening week. So until then, same time, same bat channel, remember, third star on the left until morning. Good night, everyone.